Let's get it going. It's time to get up. Play action fake. Brady throws toward the end zone. Caught ball. Gronkowski. Touchdown Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Boy, that combination clicks for the 93rd time, and they're now second place all time in quarterback to receiver touchdowns. These guys are here to break it all down. There's going to be an adjustment in the market on GM salaries and coaches' salaries, just like there has been on player salaries. And it's going to be a difficult time to be negotiating a new contract. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. Don't panic. People don't panic. This is the starting lineup with James Zabalski and Perry Solkowski. Oh, here we go. Here we go. 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 What's happening, everybody? It is Tuesday, November 3rd, Election Day in America. James Sabalski here. Perry Solkowski there. Greg Ballack with a whole case of wine on the other side of the glass. Hanging with you until 9 o'clock this morning here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. You ready for this? The race to 270. It's amazing how we watch from a distance and you go, okay, the last four years, to me, it just seemed crystal clear where, you know, you thought, oh, well, Donald Trump wins the election. It'll be interesting to see how he governs over the next four years. And then you start going, all right, no, I had the biggest inauguration ever. And then someone puts the side-by-side picture up to Obama's and you're looking at the exact thing. Oh, no, he didn't have the biggest ever. And then it started, and then it starts. Yeah, this is going to be fascinating to see what happens. Can I ask why Balak has a case of wine, though, you're referring to this morning? Yeah, yeah. He's, this, he's just he's nervous for tonight. Regardless of the outcome, I think he's drinking. looking at that as therapy. Yeah, there was, uh, there was talk on social media, like, everyone's going, well, what are you going to eat? You know, anxiety, comfort food. It's, it's, it's almost like uh, in the States, the nerves will be so, oh, bring some chips. I don't know. Oh, we just eat ourselves to victory. Uh, I'm fascinated. I will be, uh, yeah, I am fascinated as to what will happen. Over $400 million have been bet on this election in Europe as to who is going to win. I think uh, Joe Biden is a 1.50, so he is the favorite. But, yeah, make no mistake, every television you turn on, nothing really going on from a sports perspective. It's just about people getting out and voting and seeing the results and when we can uh, anybody claiming victory and what happens when it's done? Because I think that's part two of this equation. Well, you know what? Look, it, it, I mean, I think it. I don't think it's hyperbole to say this is the biggest election in our lifetime with just nope. what's at stake. And I and I think the fact is beyond that is it's the celebrity factor that Donald Trump brings to the table as well. I'll ask you this. You know, here we are today. By the way, good morning, everybody. Um, the Dunbar text line is always up and running here at Sportsnet 650. 650, 650 is where you can always uh, chime in if you'd like. At Sportsnet 650 is where you can find us on Twitter as well. But tell me this. So you look at this year in particular, and the last four years for that matter. I mean, man, like, honestly, you've got to go back probably to the days of Muhammad Ali. Um, since we've really seen the politicization of sports to the degree that we've seen here in 2020. Do you think if Trump loses, does do sports become less political, or is this just kind of the name of the game here now going forward? I think it becomes less political because, you know, Trump was the one who, I mean, yesterday, and we'll play it later on, yesterday in his rally, it's all on, and people would stick to sports. Well, the president just went all on the NBA and LeBron James. 
And then he moved over to the NFL. Like, it wasn't like the NFL was sitting there. They, you know, Colin Kaepernick did his thing. And then it's Donald Trump that called them sons of bitches and those guys. Like, yeah, I, I don't think you care that much about what a president thinks of sports. But he is the one who has brought sports into his daily conversation, into his tweets, and has divided things. Like, Obama might have been the biggest sports fan as a president in my lifetime, but I can't remember him doing a whole bunch. You wanted to see a president four times a year, and that's when the respective winning teams go to the White House and get their jerseys. That's enough. You don't get him in there to be a sports fan. He can be, but you're in there to lead the country. So, yeah, I think guaranteed if Joe Biden is in there, we don't talk a whole bunch about sports when dealing with the U.S. president. Well, here, here's what you're alluding to from a campaign rally yesterday. This is this is Donald Trump, and he kind of, you know, we hear the stick to sports. Well, how about stick to politics? Here was Donald Trump yesterday at a campaign rally. Listen to this. I felt badly for LeBron. I felt very badly. Down 71%. The cha- and that's for the champion. I didn't watch one. I didn't watch one shot. I get bored. Back, forth, back, forth. You know why? When they don't respect our country, when they don't respect our flag, nobody wants to watch. Nobody. Yeah, and that kind of went on about the NFL and you know disrespecting mm-hmm. the flag. You know, it's funny. Like this is the same guy who was like, "We need to get our sports back." Right? Remember, remember that six months ago, we need to get our sports yeah. back, and and gave a shout out to to Gary Bettman and Adam Silver and Rob Manfred and Dana White and the great Vince McMahon. Like, if you remember all that, like that ridiculous, it was like, we got to get our sports back. And here we are now. But, you know, he makes, like, he's made sports an election issue. Yeah, and that's what Americans love. What do Americans get? Most people united by sports. All right, we've got our team against their team. Good as that, you know. We're going to miss the we're also not going to get sports talk if he's not in. We're going to miss updated ratings on shows that CNN's ratings aren't good and no one's reading the New York Times and the Washington Times are terrible. Like that downs. He's always down percentages. He seems to know more about TV ratings and, and anything else. So, yeah, I think the stick to sports has been the fact that for four years, Trump has always had sports as part of his, uh, you know, as message. People don't like, you know, let's boo, let's see whatever. So thus, I think it's galvanized a lot of athletes and sports athletes to use their platform to say, hey, people get out and vote. Well, we'll find out to see what the results are. There's not a whole lot from a sports standpoint tonight in terms of the playing field or competitions or live events. So tonight, I'm sure there will be many of us just uh, watching and seeing what's going to happen whether it will be and then man it's the fallout right like like the talk of gun sales through the roof over the last uh, few months few years for that matter like what goes down win or lose right people going to hit the streets like are there going to be celebrations like remember the night that if you go back 8 years ago pair the night that America got Obama and people started running out to the to the white house and started screaming and celebrating and chanting on the streets i mean that was that was a moment but like you know, are people going to pour out into the streets and celebrate a, a victory if Trump loses? You know, do things go sideways? You know, if Trump wins, do people go out into the streets and celebrate? Or do things go sideways then? It is fascinating what will happen. I think, I, yeah, I think, unfortunately, we're in for conflict. Either or. Right? Trump It does wins. feel that way. It does totally yeah, feel it, that way. 
Yeah. I, I just think if Trump loses, they're out there going, no way. He was the greatest president. Um, if Biden wins, maybe there's some people that go finally, and then the Trump supporters will be there. I think, unfortunately, seeing all the storefronts that have been boarded in New York City and in Washington, um, it's probably, hey, I'd be doing it. I'd be doing it. You know, as I said, I've got a buddy who's been in the middle of it for the last five weeks as a cameraman, and it wasn't all about election day. It was going to say, I'm just curious what's happening when it's over. Because I think that's when I'm really going to be working, and that's when it could be a little dangerous. That's the fear factor, how it's gone so far and all this stuff. It is our simple poll question today. Who do you think is winning? We've got 100 people in early this morning, eight minutes in. Uh, they are at 63% because, hey, it's it's the only thing going on, essentially, and it's the one question and what most people will be looking at. And today. what's 63%? What are they saying? 63% say Biden. Biden. A couple okay. people uh, replying saying, uh, I hope Biden, but Trump wins. I think that's a lot of people feeling that way. I, you know, I you've do, always been I on the case, not... man. You're a big Trump supporter. You're not talking about it, but he's got a lot of pull. I don't trust the polls. I don't. No. It, it, it like You look at the backlash that Bobby Orr, uh, that Jack Nicholas have taken – you know, especially just in the last few days for voting for this guy uh, or saying that they support Donald Trump. I think there's a lot of people that just quietly that are kind of those moderate conservatives, you know, or, or neutrals, if you will, right, that say, I'm going to vote for Donald Trump again, uh, but I'm not going to admit it, you know, and that, hey, like, look at how many people text in on our Dunbar Lumber text line and we'll sit there and say they support Donald Trump, right? Mm-hmm. Now, are they as openly to that when they can do it anonymously on a text line? Are they doing it publicly? Eh, probably not, right? Probably not. And I think that's where people will quietly, in one breath, shake their head and say, Donald Trump's crazy. But I I, I don't know. I, I, I Honestly, I, I feel like Donald Trump's going to win again tonight. I do not trust the polls. I do not trust to see where they're at. And I think we've seen where polls are flawed. And I, I get it. The numbers certainly skew towards joe biden um but at this point i just feel like there's a lot of people that will quietly go to the polls and take that guy uh here's what we got coming up over the next uh, few hours here todd bertuzzi is going to join us it's for tuesday uh bird's down in detroit right now talk to bert and uh, see where things are at um i've got a sense in terms of where the uh the best canadian team is uh reach deep had a the conversation yesterday about the power rankings uh the way too early power rankings uh, for the uh, Canadian teams in the event there is a Canadian division. Uh, so we'll get into that with Bird coming up a little after 7 o'clock and get his sense, like, is it really possible that Travis Green could fly the coop? I mean, the story that first surfaced from Jonathan Davis uh, a few days ago about Green being at odds right now or just contract negotiations not off to a great start uh, with the Vancouver Canucks as he goes into the final year. Like, do you like do you believe that Travis Green won't be the c- coach of the Canucks beyond this season no yeah, I, I think I, he's I, totally tie, I think he's tied to the core group uh he knows that i think the organized organization knows that um these are negotiations normally you don't hear a whole bunch about coach negotiations but hey i understand both sides these are the craziest times ever to have a contract come up and talk about it so you know travis wants some numbers and right now if i'm the canucks organization i'm going well we're year out and we have no idea what we're going to be looking like 
So um, I, I don't have any – tell you what, Travis Green walks away from this team in a year's time. That ranks right up there with some of the biggest gaps they've done in their 51-year history then. Well, if they're a playoff team again, right? Like if they're a playoff yeah. team. If, they, if, things went, if things were to go sideways, I mean, is it inconceivable? No, it's not inconceivable. But if things went sideways this upcoming season – I guess it's possible that Travis Green doesn't return to the full. But yeah, no, if this was a if this was a team that was back into the playoffs, pair I would agree. If if Travis Green left after this team being a playoff squad, yes, you're absolutely right. Ish would hit the fan. No doubt about it. You'd have a new GM. Um well, not necessarily though, right? You don't think they're tied together? You don't think that Aquilini and Jim Benning well, I mean, are tied so together in terms saying, of how much money you can offer somebody, though? Well, I guess. You know, that that would be the case. Travis got greener pastors somewhere else. So Aquilini goes, I'm on a budget. Ah, you know what? I, I think that's a tough call because you they're going to find negotiating... the money for like, Pedersen. Yeah, They'll find the say, money. Do you think Jim Benning's like fully doing that negotiation? Like that's probably the legal counsel assistant GM Chris Gear who's dealing with that, and and I'm sure there's probably a threshold to what Francesco Aquilini and ownership wants to sign off on, right? Like there's, I think right now it's probably more the waiting game. My understanding is that term is the issue, right? I don't think it's a dollar amount that they're at odds about. Mm-hmm. I think it's term, how many years, right? But the and question I is, is that's what the one card like? that coaches are trying to play. If if I'm a GM, I'm not giving anybody more than three years term. Right. And I think the Aquilini's burnt in 2015 by Tortorelli. Or was it 2013? And just going, okay, we can't give five years. No, their fault. Their fault on that. And from my understanding, it was completely their decision. A nice, nice dinner. John's charming. He's our guy. Where Travis Green, I think there is the belief there. They would have to really go sideways this next year. And go okay. They, they've turned. They, they've tuned them out. They're not listening to Travis Green. Look where this team has gone backwards. I just think Benning and Travis Green are kind of tied at the hip with this one. Sure. I mean, not, uh, more so than like Benning and Willie D, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think Willie D was Trevor's guy. Is this is this going to be our, our producer Mike English texting and saying if Green leaves the Aquilinis, will fire Benning? You think like I just I'd be curious as to how much say Jim Benning will have on this, and I I do wonder how much this comes from ownership to say, look, these are the parent. This is the term that we're going to, right? Do you I, remember that what Brian think... Burke? What remember that conversation Brian Burke and he went public, and I believe it was pretty much the undoing for his job here in Vancouver. But when Todd Bertuzzi had that contract extension, right, and they were at, and I remember Brian going into the weekend. And Bert had signed that eight-year, thirty-two million, but they hadn't signed it yet. But it was like, okay, well, we're gonna fish or cut bait this weekend. Essentially, I've taken it. I've taken it to ownership, right? He kind of put, he kind of shifted all the pressure and the weight of the decision onto ownership, and I don't think they like that at all. Where Berkey came out publicly and said, "Look, I've taken it to ownership. It's in their hands now," and it was basically mm-hmm. like, "I've done what I can." This is the contract I've come up with, and it's now on the hands of John McCaw and Stan McCammon to make that decision. And I think they hated that. They hated that, 
right? And that was, I think, a major reason for Berkey's undoing and his departure here with the Canucks with that Bertuzzi contract because he kind of shifted the blame or the pressure to suddenly be on the ownership as opposed to management. Well, and Berkey, I kind of chuckled last week when Berkey was talking about Green. He goes, hey, he's got a one-year deal left. Travis Green's not going anywhere. He's got a year left in his contract. Berkey's also the guy that used the media here to go, I'm a lame duck GM. I'm a lame duck GM. I've got a year left and no one's talking to me about extension. Throwing it right on ownership again. That was Berkey's way a lot of the times. And I like it. He was, you know, he was doing a good job at that point, but no one's given him a contract. So Burke was pretty good at saying, you know, this spotlight that's on me, I am throwing it right on the you guys and putting you all under the bus so you can deal with it because now I don't have to answer the questions. Some enjoyed it. Others thought, hmm, uncomfortable. You know, Berkey's the one guy that I could not remember. And I think talking to Chris Brummel at the time, you know, they took over what is now the restaurant. That's where Berkey threw his his closing press conference. Like he was let go, but they thought enough of him to go, you know what? You can have a, a goodbye to the media. Dave Nonis is coming in. And it was Berkey's farewell. He going, wow, like this guy's pulled off. So now there was a little bit of a rally for Berkey. And it never hurt him afterwards. So I don't think. Listen, it would be great to say Travis Green's deal would be easy to, to get done, and I think in most situations it would be, but it's just where they are in the world. I would think Mike Hoffman would have thought he knew where he was playing hockey at this point. I would think Matt Barzell would have hoped that he would have a contract extension done by now. Things are going to take longer because it's tough to digest and figure out where the numbers are. You know, there's talk even now the NHL, you know, they might be looking at February before they get going. So how do you negotiate numbers? How do you look long-term when you don't even know what's going on in the next three or four months? Well, and this is why I think it's going to be a slow play to get this done, right? You're going to you're gonna wait and see. I mean, to kind of have this – I mean, for this to turn into the Judd Brackett conversation for 2021, right, this, okay, is it done yet? Is it not done yet? Look, the, the whole notion of the lame duck – look, I, I think there is more of a comfort for for coaches now to be in a position to say, you know what? I'll take my chances and and play out that final year and see where it kind of goes, um, mm-hmm. and I and I think Travis is probably comfortable enough to be in this situation. But I'm sure I'm sure the Canucks as an organization want to kind of see where like they've had to lay off staff, right? Like there's some good people behind the scenes that have lost their job with that organization, right? Like there have been situations that this team has had to be mindful of, just like so many other teams, not just in the National Hockey League, but in the sports landscape because of what has impacted this team because of COVID-19. And so I, I get that it's going to slow play. Like, this probably won't be resolved until the spring at the earliest, if I could guess. Well, and I think a lot of people will be um, of the mindset, and Travis should go, hey, you know, he's here. When we start up again in January, February, he's behind the bench, and we'll deal with it now. Like, if you know, if Travis just said, hey, I'm not worried about it, Travis Green's coaching in the NHL next year uh, for the Vancouver Canucks. The following year, I would suggest Travis Green is coaching in the NHL too because I think he's impressed an awful lot of organizations that if they had an opening and saw that Travis Green isn't tied down, he may look to it. Now, that's the one thing that you'd have to worry about the Canucks going, hey, what if Travis says, no, I'm okay, I don't, I don't want the extension, I'm going elsewhere. But I think that's uh, you know my sense. This organization, everyone is all on the same page. It's just right now you're negotiating and Travis can ask for a lot because I think his stock is very high and the Canucks can go, man, we've been laying off people left and right. Like, can we just hang on to this right now to see what kind of world it is? We'd like to get our building back to normal. Yes, you're important. So it's, it's a patience game. 
I don't think there's a whole lot of concern to it right now, but um, you know, this, the story's out there at least with no one really commenting on it other than hearing sources saying, yeah, the, there might be a little bit of a distance as far as term is concerned and what Travis wants and what the Canucks can offer. So we continue to wait on that one. Um, we'll get into it in the Canucks commute coming up at 8 o'clock. Uh, we'll also talk to Gary Mason from the uh, Globe and Mail, a longtime observer here in Vancouver sports, uh, and now kind of covering um, kind of the world around us as a columnist uh, for the Globe. So we'll talk to Gary just after 8 o'clock this morning. Uh, it was also on this day. How about this pair? It was on this yep. day 25 years ago today. Big time sports city, Vancouver. There you go. Uh, the Vancouver Grizzlies, their very first game, uh, the Grizzlies, playing on this day, November 3rd, 1995. It was a Friday night. The Grizzlies and the Blazers. And the Grizzlies begin their journey with a 92-80 win over the Portland Trail Blazers, one of only 15 wins that season, their debut in the NBA. And that's when, you know, that symbol makes you a big-time sports city, right? As simple as that. You are no longer like Edmonton and Calgary. You're no longer like Montreal. You are now, hey, no, no, we're big league North American sports. Two teams building this rocking. They're hockey on a Monday, basketball on a Tuesday. It was crazy to cover because it was so important, right, to have that NBA stamp of approval in this city. One of the true disappointments, considering how we have grown, how we've become so international. We were ahead of our time for the NBA. Sucked that they didn't have the right people in charge to make it work. Um, that was 25 years ago where it's just, ha-ha, puff out your chest, Vancouver. Not only do we have the NHL, but we also have the NBA. One of the most disappointing things that's ever happened in this city is we just weren't able to sustain where I do think now if somehow, some way they would be there. And and it's just too expensive. You're talking billions to get an NBA team. I think they would have been able to survive. I think you have hardcore basketball fans that care a little bit about the Canucks, but would love the NBA. And then you've got always, and will always have your NHL fans. Disappointing. Well, why is it here 25 years later that Vancouver as a sports city, like we don't get Vegas, right? We don't get Vegas. We get like old school expansion growth. Case in yes. point. So the Grizzlies 25 years ago, six years of some of the worst basketball in the history of the association. Then you fast forward now in the last 10 years. The Vancouver Whitecaps can't get out of their own way. Still waiting for those guys to kind of become, you know, a legitimate franchise here in MLS. How about in the National Lacrosse League pair, the Vancouver Warriors? Where are they at right now? Right? And they're probably going to be a bit of a a, a bit of a, a tough sell for at least a few more years until they get some contracts sorted out. And man, think about how many great lacrosse players are from these parts. Like Whitecaps, Warriors, all kind of following in the same sort of expansion family as the Grizzlies. Like, a quarter of a century later, we're still waiting for something nice to happen. Look at the Canucks did this whole thing for, like, the first 10 years of existence as well, right? I mean, they were a gong show in the 1970s. It's just something that happens here. It takes about 10 years to kind of wake up. Supply and demand, but, uh, you know, they were handcuffed so much because they weren't, you know, think about the NBA. We're going to Canada, really? 
eh, yeah, we're going there, but we're not giving them much help. And that's what killed. You would have had to, the hard times, you know, the Grizzlies, they go down as one of the worst franchises in the history of North American sports in their first year and the years that they put up. You know, I think Sports Illustrated had them ranked number two, I believe, as one of the worst seasons ever in pro sports. Yet fans kept on coming. Could you imagine what it'd be like if you had been able to sustain that and live through it and say, man, we were once the worst and we just perseverance, perseverance, and, uh, and we got to the top of the mountain. But you're right. When we come in, you came in with so much excitement to watch those coming to play the Grizzlies. They made some terrible organizational moves. But 25 years ago today, for the first time, Vancouver became a real pro sports town. NHL, NBA, throw in some Vancouver indie, throw in some golf. Man, those were the heydays. But at the end of it, you pull it all back, Seabell. As long as the hockey team's okay, this city's okay. Yeah. The the Grizzlies started off two they, they started off two and zero. They started off two and zero and then proceeded to lose nineteen straight. <laughs> yeah. Fifteen and sixty seven. Fifteen and sixty seven that that maiden voyage year. But man, like, wouldn't you love? Wouldn't you have loved to have had the NBA here twenty five years later? Imagine that. Imagine that here well, still in an NBA town and an NHL town. I think the thing is you needed both sports fans. 25 years ago, I don't know if you had a lot of people that were NBA and NHL fans, but you just had a sports fan that said, oh, I like NBA basketball. I'll watch that. Now I think you have hardcore NBA fans in the city that if they had the disposable income, they said, no, I'm going to the Grizzly game. And you would have that divide. You'd have a few people with enough money to have both. But uh, I think you've built such a good basketball base in this city that you'd be able to bring it back. Well, it's 25 minutes after 6 o'clock here on this Tuesday morning. He's Perry. I'm James. Still to come. Hey, we're often told to stick to sports here on this show lately. But you know what? In a moment, we'll explain why we can't stick to sports. That's next, right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. The Biden lockdown will mean no school, no graduations, no weddings, no Thanksgivings, no Easter, no Christmas, no Fourth of July, no future for the youth. Other than that, it's going to be a great life. We choose hope over fear. We choose unity over division. We choose science over fiction. And yeah, we choose truth over lies. Now more of the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. There it is. Hyperbole. 631 on a uh, just a awful weather day. Just pouring rain out there this morning. This is rain like that seems so fitting for Election Day in America. This is like, I don't know if this is a sign of things to come pair, but this like rain right now is like right out of the movie Seven. You remember that movie with Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman and Kevin Spacey? And, uh, just yeah. a dark, dark, dark movie. It's fantastic, but it's dark. It's kind of like that out there this morning. Well, you move the clocks back, so uh, now now it's dark all the time. Then you bring the rain down. For us, we're we're kind of settling in for a few days of this. It's all right. A lot of people mowing their lawns yesterday in the neighborhood. I had lawnmowers everywhere, and I'm just going, oh, man. I, you know, I, my wife and I just, oh, honey, it's good. Lawn's a perfect size. You don't want to cut it too short before yeah. the winter. 
fertilized it last week, but a lot of people out there getting yard work done for the last time. But yeah, it socked in for a little bit. Um, our poll question this morning, I'm going to be fascinated, James, if if our listeners, almost 400 of them up this, uh, this morning on the Sportsnet 650 Twitter poll question, if we are close to the actual poll results tonight, then I think we've got something here. We, we could have our the ski pool. We could take this elsewhere. Our listeners can can change things for us. But they've got a Biden at 67 percent right now. Trump at 33 percent as far as the election. Be a big win that way. But we'll see where the results are. But everybody intrigued. Stick to sports. There's really one thing going on today. In essence, what your TV coverage will be, and that's the election down south. So they're basically saying two thirds uh, of our uh, our poll respondents are leading towards Joe Biden uh, for tonight's election results. Uh, Dunbar text line six fifty six fifty. Always welcome the discussion as well. You talked about yard work, man. I just want to say, like the last few days, I totally understand people's annoyance at the leaf blowers. My God, especially the gas ones. <laughs> You know, the other day we went to go play tennis on a, a Saturday. Beautiful day on Saturday. We go to the courts, and the leaf, and leaves are all over the court. And there's like a city worker off blowing away or, or a regional park worker, like more focused on blowing leaves off like the grass and this giant patch of lawn. And like you leave the playing court surface still covered in leaves. It's like, why would you prioritize a lawn, a, a, a grass before you would cover, like clear the covering surface? And even yesterday at another point, like it's a beautiful sunny day. And you step outside and you're standing there enjoying it. And there's somebody with a massive leaf blower just like, man, you just kind of buzzkill in this beautiful sunny day. I get people got to get their work done. I want to get their yard work done too. But, man, it's just like, okay, this is kind of annoying right now. Uh, we may lead the league in leaf blowing at our house. <laughs> like literally probably twice a week. We're twice out there. My a wife week. loves to leaf Oh, your blow. neighbors I don't must mind love you. Blower. We are constantly leaf blowing. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's one of those weird things. That and recycling. I love recycling. I can't. I I feel like I've accomplished a whole lot. Ah, I just recycled. Feels good. I love my Friday afternoon. All the uh, recycling's all done. Garbage's all done. I feel like I'm I'm clean. It's it's it's, it's like going to church. Everything's good. Clean to my soul. Everything's fine. Again. Are you but just lumping recycling? Wait, wait. Are you lumping in recycling in the same breath as leaf blowing? Yeah. How that how means, like how, that is, how is how is recycling clear? loud? No, no, that that means just no. It's just it's the little area outside the house. Recycling's all done in the shed. Excellent. Driveway, everything's clear. Yeah, the leaves are gone, I and mean, we've a lot of trees around here, so it doesn't help. It just it just makes you tidy, right? You walk into the front, you go, everything's good. No, nah, there's not a bunch of garbage in there anymore. No animals coming around. Leaves have been blown off. That's why now we are probably three weeks into renovations of the bathroom. Uh, Tyler's will be coming this morning again for day two. So our house is a little disheveled and even my wife and I just, man, like, I can't wait to get this stuff, like all these tools out, everything out of here to get back to normal, to cleanse, feel mentally feel okay. Right. Hmm. All right, let's get into You're it here. Like Time that. for Seaball. Yeah, okay. All right, let's get into Seaball says here. Uh, stick to sports, shut up and dribble. I mean, we've heard that a lot here in the sports world in 2020, and it's ramped up even more so in recent weeks as the stories evolve in the sporting landscape. Problem is, 
Problem is, when we're asked to stick to sports, sports are right now draped in politics. Everywhere you turn, there's a social issue, a protest, a morality issue, or something else that links our day-to-day with what's happening on the ice and on the field. And this most late, most recent trend, it started back in 2016 when Colin Kaepernick took a knee to protest police brutality in America. There's a lot of things that need to change. Uh, one, one specifically is police brutality. There's people being murdered unjustly and not being held accountable. Cops are getting paid leave for killing people. That's not right. There were moments along the way as athletes like LeBron James lent his voice to protest during the shooting death of 17-year-old Trayvon Martin. Let's use this moment as a call to action for all professional athletes to educate ourselves, explore these issues, speak up, use our influence, and renounce all violence. But things have intensified here in 2020, and it really started with the murder of George Floyd. I cannot breathe. I cannot breathe. Ah. Ah. Protests erupted globally, including right here in Vancouver. NBA players lent their voices, raised more awareness surrounding the death of Breonna Taylor. When the NBA returned to play, several had her name on their jerseys and all in support of Black Lives Matter. The NHL also tried to add their support to the cause, kick-started by a moving speech when play resumed by Matt Dumba. Black Lives Matter. Breonna Taylor's life matters. Hockey is a great game, but it could be a whole lot greater, and it starts with all of us. And then there's the global pandemic, COVID-19, which we can all agree this one has all affected us. And there on display last week was the Dodgers' Justin Turner celebrating a World Series win after being pulled from the game following a positive test for COVID-19. My understanding from various people is that he was told not to go on the field or asked not to go on the field he insisted upon it the Dodgers insisted upon it and that is why he was out there and at one point he did have his mask off imagine showing up to work right now with COVID what would your boss say what would your co-workers say oh hey so not nice to see you right now the point is this We are sticking to sports right now. Social and societal issues are impacting the sports world. Even yesterday, U.S. President Donald Trump, for now, took shots at LeBron at an in the NBA at a rally, and he's made the sporting world an election issue as we speak. I felt badly for LeBron. I felt very badly. Down 71%. The cha- and that's for their champion. I didn't watch one. I didn't watch one shot. I get bored. Back, forth, back, forth. You know why? When they don't respect our country, when they don't respect our flag, nobody wants to watch. Nobody. You see what I mean? We can't stick to sports right now. The NHL may have an all-Canadian division because of politics. The Ontario Hockey League may not have body checking this season because of wait for it, politics. So we can't just stick to sports because we're all in this together right now, whether you like it or whether you don't. So stick to sports? Sorry, not sorry. 650-650 if you feel the need to chime in this morning on the Dunbar Lumber text line.
Well, as we said, I don't think we've ever jumped on this station to say, let's just talk about the foreign policy that Donald Trump has, right? Let's just talk about it. Yeah, you know, I've been doing this. You've been doing this for a long time, a couple of decades. I don't think I've ever talked so much about politics because politics has been intertwined with sports over the last four years because sports figures, A, now they have a platform that they hadn't 10 years ago. Now they're exercising it. And, you know, the, the what they're saying is directly involving the, the government of the country they're playing in. And then the president shoots back and it becomes topical. Right. We wouldn't have said anything about Trump's final stop in Pennsylvania and how that is such a swing state and up for grabs. But he's just sitting there doing a routine. Oh, how about LeBron? Hey, and, and, you know, you didn't even play the party went on about the NFL, too. So that's why it's tough to stick to sports, because politics has said, hey, by the way, sports come over here. We're going to make you political. Simple as that. Oh, and here we go. It's election day here in this uh, in America, and we will continue to wait and see how it all kind of plays out. As you mentioned, Pear, um, 67%. Do, does the political conversation in the sporting landscape calm down if Trump loses? I would think so to a degree. But I also think that I think a lot of athletes are recognizing that they have a platform now. There's social media, which has been a huge game changer for society. Um, in a good and a negative way, but they are lending their voice, raising awareness, whether it's helping, you know, feed hungry kids like we've, we've talked about overseas with Marcus Rashford. Um, we see certain stories. J.J. Watt, the amount of money that he raised, you know, when the city of Houston was devastated a couple of years ago, right? We're, we're seeing these moments in athletes with a social conscience step up. That's great. Will that change? I don't think so. But no. I think the divisiveness, the divisiveness that we have seen for the last four years in America, if Trump loses tonight, I think we'll see some of that rhetoric. You know, that gets muzzled. And I think a lot of people welcome that. It, it, it's like when you go to when you're doing post game for people who don't know, if you're doing post game at a hockey game, football game, depending on who talks first, normally the players talk first. Right. So if someone says something a little bit controversial, all right, that's great. We've got some real meat here. As soon as the coach speaks, you're going to say, hey, by the way, in your dressing room, player A just said, well, now it depends how the coach diffuses the situation. He goes, well, no, I, you know, I'll disagree or I don't believe with him. He goes, no, that, that's his right. We have to do this. Well, so when the NBA players and the NFL players are taking a knee or doing something and you go to the president, sometimes you don't have to ask him the question and he calls them SOBs or something like, well, there you go. There's your story. Then you're going back, hey, to the players, guess what he just called you? Okay, so then we're, oh, you want to fight? We're going to have a fight. But if NFL players take a knee and there's a new leader in the White House and they go, hey, what are your thoughts? And the answer is, you know what? They're American citizens. They pay their taxes. Uh, we all have a right to protest. That's theirs. Next question. Well, that's no fun, right? That's no fun. There's no heat on that. President's saying, you know, you're all right to. And it, it, it'll be okay for fans to boo you. But if he's not coming out the next morning, going, by the way, before we talk, I'd like to say how the NFL ratings are down. You need <laughs> you need two people to have a fight. And there's been a big fight going on for four years as far as pro sports, and they haven't been the only ones battling. I just think uh, the White House won't be part of that. They'll govern rather than worrying so much about sports and trying to divide everybody if if Biden gets in. 
644 here on this uh, Tuesday morning. Uh, Todd Bertuzzi joins us coming up uh, just after 7 o'clock. In a moment, uh, Tom Brady gets a win over the Giants. uh, And the NFL is looking at expanding their playoff scenario to offset losses at the risk of health and safety, right? We'll get into that next. Sportsnet 650. To the starting lineup with Jim Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. All right, 649 here on this Tuesday morning, Election Day in America. Get those wine boxes ready, everybody. Must see Colin TV Kaepernick tonight. Birthday today, ironically, too. Who's? Colin Kaepernick. Oh, wow. 33 years old today, right? Yep. Wonder who he's voting for today. I don't. You know what? You'll never know because think about how. If you were to go back over the last three years to actually see how much Colin Kaepernick has spoken publicly, it probably counted on one finger, right? He's been the the leader, the face of a protest without really saying a whole lot, right? Actions louder than words, and you thought he would be, you know, a little more so much supportive people, but. You never really hear Colin Kaepernick come and speak. No, I mean, kind of the last time he kind of held court with reporters was when he had his uh, his workout, right? He had his workout that uh, wound up getting moved to a high school and, uh, you know, just basically, hey, I'm ready, you know, calling people out and yeah. ready to go if need I'm, be. And I think didn't didn't one of those receivers that he was throwing passes to, somebody got signed. Yeah. He didn't. I, I, I think the, <laughs> the receiver you know, did. Boy, after watching the Cowboys, um, you know, go to their third stringer and you just go, boy, you know, Colin Kaepernick. But I just don't think Colin Kaepernick has an interest in playing at the lawsuit with the NFL. I think those days are gone. He's decided to move elsewhere. I think NFL has worked with him to help with social justice and, and help that cause. But ironically, on this day, it is Election Day and it's also Colin Kaepernick's birthday as well. Yeah, Jerry Jones is not the guy to be the one to bring back no. Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> no. <laughs> and the other thing is, it's like it's been four years since he's played a game, right? That's that's the other yeah. thing. The rust, like I think the expiration date has hit for Colin Kaepernick. Uh, speaking of the NFL, uh, the competition committee is expected to present a resolution to owners that will include a 16-team playoff scenario if games are lost because of COVID-19. So they would basically um, punt away uh, the buys and would have the four division champs in each conference and then four wild card teams from both the AFC and the NFC. So you'd basically seed it uh, kind of NHL-esque, one versus eight, two versus seven, three, six, and then four, five. So they had already voted to expand the playoffs to 14 teams, but they might add another two because of money talks, man. Two more playoff games. Okay. Yeah. Why not? Let's get them out there. But that's, that's the simple answer though, James. Why not? You know what the NHL did? You go, okay. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. It's tough to make a decision. So we're going to move a couple more teams in what major league baseball did with the blue Jays taking advantage for as quickly as they were out. You, you excited a fan base. And in the blue Jays case across the country, people show more interest. So why not? 
why wouldn't you? In a time where revenue is going to be down, it's going to take you a long time to make it up. If I'm all for pro sports leagues, I'm going, you know what, guys? It's time to add more games. You know, we got to give a better opportunity, make the odds better for your team to get into the postseason just so you can cash in and make some money. And I think right now, you know, I don't know if you're going to have any fans going, ah, oh, that's just too many. There's too many preseason games for them, but the playoffs, they mean something. I'm all for it. So maybe if we figure something out of this, it's leagues going, you know, we're going to have to change some things. And one of them, we keep on expanding. We're going to change some numbers. More teams are going to make it to the postseason. I am all for that in every league. Well, it, I mean, did anybody did anybody hate the the wild card play in series, in, in the, you know the Canucks in the Wild and all these other Loved series, it. whether it was Chicago and Edmonton, uh, Montreal and Pittsburgh, like there were some great series, right? Only one of them actually went to five games, but yeah, I, I think more more games, yeah. I mean, to have eight more series, and they don't have to be long. But, you know, a best of three, I know it's something the NHL has been reluctant to, to try to go forward with, or at least the commissioner has, but I wouldn't be opposed to, you know, a seven to ten sort of mini series to, to kind of the play-ins for those seven, eight, nine, ten. You know, you let two of those, two best of three series before you kind of get to your full on. I'd be down with that. Absolutely. No, and I, that. Yeah, and I think they always concern we don't want to cheapen the regular season. I don't think you do. There's always records that are always being chased. There's always injuries. There's always storylines every day for 82 games of NHL hockey. I don't think it's cheapening any storylines. If you go, oh, yeah, there's not even a playoff race. There'll always will be a playoff race for the bottom teams. Get them all in, and you ignite fan bases in more cities than eliminating to the 16 you have. Do that for every pro sport team. Sure. Uh, we're going to get into it with Todd Bertuzzi, uh, Bert's south of the border. wonder how he's feeling. And we'll also dive into the Canucks. Is it possible that his sense of like whether it's a big deal or no big deal for his former teammate Travis Green to be in the final year of his contract here at the Canucks? We'll get into all of that next right here on your home of Vancouver Hockey, Sportsnet 650. Let's get it going. It's time to get up. Play action fake. Brady throws toward the end zone. Caught ball. Touchdown, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Boy, that combination clicks for the 93rd time, and they're now second place all time in quarterback to receiver touchdowns. These guys are here to break it all down. There's going to be an adjustment in the market on GM salaries and coaches' salaries, just like there has been on player salaries. And it's going to be a difficult time to be negotiating a new contract. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. Don't panic. People don't panic. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski. Seven o'clock. Todd Bertuzzi will join us here in just a moment. A reminder this hour is a presentation of Dunbar Lumber. The smart alternative visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner, Arbutus Street in Vancouver, or check them out online at DunbarLumber.com. Savalski, Solkowski, our number two. Is it funny that the NFL scheduled the NFL's trade deadline for today? Yeah, you would think they would have had the foresight to say, yeah, we're not going to be doing it on this day. doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I think it's a 1 o'clock deadline our time, seeing what uh, might be going on as to who could be moving and where where we may see some action. I think a lot of people thought they would do it. Bill Belichick taking some heat this morning because he's saying, hey, the reason we have no depth and our football team's no good is because we've always spent – and we, we were all in to win Super Bowls. And now we, we don't have the money. And people are going, oh, we'll take a look at where your money is. Uh, so we'll see that. But it doesn't make a whole bunch of sense. Uh, William Fuller, the big name that's going around there, that he could be moved. 
uh, out of Houston, which, boy, Houston was such a good football team a couple of years ago, not even, and then they make that move to get rid of DeAndre Hopkins and all that. Bill O'Brien finally had to go. But, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You would think that would be the one day where nothing's going on, but uh, it is time for some players to be moved before the afternoon is up. Our Sportsnet 650 uh, Twitter poll question uh, this morning. We're asking you who you got, who you got tonight. Like, let's face it. I mean, the one event that people are betting on more than anything else today is the elections south of the border. So that's what we're asking you. Who you got tonight? Uh, more than 600 people have voted on this one so far. And s- almost 68% of you are going with Joe Biden. A little hope and change comparatively to uh, the incumbent, Donald Trump, at uh, just uh, 32% this morning. So more than two-thirds of the uh, votes, uh, which is a very non-scientific poll question, Joe Biden gets the lead right now. Nothing scientific about this show. Nothing other than the chemistry that we have, nothing scientific about this show. Let's bring in Todd Bertuzzi, who uh, brings a little civility here to this show each and every Tuesday morning. Big Bert, how you doing, man? Like, what does Election Day look like for you? Like, do you have a party at your house? Uh, I'm actually going to a friend's house who uh, is actually getting a group of people together. It is, uh, I'll tell you, interesting times, uh, especially for a Canadian living here. I've been here for about, I don't know, 15 years 20 years total and i've never seen anything like this it's um it's, uh, at some point in time a little bit terrifying they're boarding up stores and all this kind of stuff and uh people out there right now with their flags and uh it's a huge time in uh in the world right now and uh this election has to do with a lot of things uh and racism um and then obviously who they're going to put in there in order to help us get to the next level, which we need. Uh, the U.S. is in a difficult time right now, and hopefully uh, people get out there and vote and we put the right person in place. But when did you? I'm going to assume you're an American citizen. You've been there a long time. Are you an American citizen? Are the kids American? Uh, no, I, I'm a green card holder. Uh, I've had it for uh, eight, nine years, but I'm going to be... Uh, happen to go over and, and get it within the next couple of years along with my kids and all that. I plan on living here unless someone gets in at presidency and I feel like I'm ready to go back to Canada, which I'm always ready to go back to Canada. But uh, uh, I, I, it's all my friends and all my people. I, I get educated by them on, uh, on their beliefs and their thoughts and obviously with the news and all that. I try to uh, pay attention and be open-minded and and uh, the group that I hang out with, you're allowed to have discussions about this without getting angry and, and festered and all that. So it's been uh, it's been eye opening for sure. Well, so so give me a sense. Like you, you said, man, it's kind of weird right now. Like, is it like wh- what's the sense? Like, I mean, there's there's stories about man, people are waiting for. You know, there's been images of people showing up armed to to polling stations. Like, give me a sense of what it's like uh, right now. Is it calm, or does everybody just feel on edge? Like, do you get a sense that people are stressed, or is it just, it's just, hey, man, it's, maybe it's a little bit overhype here sometimes when we're talking about this on the news. No, I don't think it's overhyped. I think a lot of the stuff that you see is actually going on. Uh, here in Michigan, we're a very big swing state here. 
So you have a giant divide uh, between the Biden and the Trump people. I live out in Lake Orion now on the lake, and uh, it is very much a uh, Trump lake, which I'm a supporter of. I don't get into discussing politics and all that, but that's who uh, I would like to see in place. But, uh, no, it's, uh, I don't know, it's really eerie. I just went for a long hike. <laughs> it's, it's got an eerie feeling to it. So uh, it'll be an interesting uh, 24 hours, and obviously I think it's going to be one of those ones that we don't find out for a month or two months anyways. Well, and it's been bizarre in Michigan because of the governor and, and everything that's, I mean, you're talking FBI and stuff. I mean, you're right, Michigan, Pennsylvania, you guys are in the thick of everything there. I mean, there's it's not just your let's go vote i mean there's been enough stories going on with with the you know either your governor is a democrat that yeah i could say you just go it's it's just interesting yeah it's it, it is interesting and uh with our governor you have uh that plot to to go get her <laughs> and it's just it's been very uh eye-opening um and like i said uh the u.s and the world in a in a in a really weird place right now and i just hope that uh when this settles down and we put the right guy in place that uh we see some kind of normality uh uh in this world and do you, do you think like things settle down like if trump wins again do you think things settle down or is it or is it just ramp up more well no i you know what i don't i don't know i don't i don't I don't understand whoever gets elected and you have to respect the position that's the president who's in office and you respect uh, that seat. It's a powerful seat and he's there to protect you and, and, uh, and look out for you. So whoever gets in there, you have to respect that seat, but it seems that uh, there's just so much anger and uh, anxiety and you add in the pandemic um, with the coronavirus and then uh, and then with the racism, the Black Lives Matter and all that, there's just so much heat being put on this fire that uh, you just you don't know what's going to end up happening. So you just uh, kind of stay out of the way and 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 hope for hope hope for uh, peaceful times. Are you far enough away where you don't see anything that's boarded up as far as store shops are concerned, or do you see some places? that have thrown up some, some boards to go, ah, just in case, what's going to go on tonight? No, I, I went downtown. There's, there, there are some places that uh, are boarding up, and then there's some small uh, places in the area who are family-run and family-owned that, that have been devastated through, this, uh, through these times and all that that are kind of just uh, maybe overprotecting their thing just in case or whatever, but... Uh, no, there's a real sense of uh, urgency to get the right person in place here, and and uh, like I said, it's uh, it's it's very different right now, it, it, and uh, and you can sense it in the air and see it in people's faces around here. Tom Bertuzzi hanging out with us here on this Tuesday morning. Um, let's kind of dive into the Canucks here for a moment. And there's been a lot of conversations about Travis Green's contract and his situation. He's going into the final year of his four-year agreement that he signed with the team a few years ago. Bert, big deal or no big deal for a coach in the final, like playing out a final year with no extension in place? Well, i, I got to be honest with you. I don't know how that is for coaches or that feeling for coaches. I know how it is for a player. 
but I assume that if there's going to be no talking, whatever, they're going to play it out. I would assume that that wouldn't sit well with Travis. I think he's done an excellent job with this Canuck team. Um, and you look, you look at the stock value of the players that have risen under Travis's guidance. Uh, you have four or five players that are elite players who, who are very popular players and that all happen under Travis's watch. Um, I think after this off season, I think we lost more than we gained. So it'll be interesting to see what the team looks like. But uh, I'll tell you right now, and you, you guys know me, I've never been the biggest coach lover but when you have no. uh, when you have some when you have someone uh like travis uh there's not much more of an upgrade you're gonna find i i believe he gets what he he gets a lot out of this team and if you keep giving him more pieces uh you'll see this canuck team up top and challenging uh in the postseason for a cup for a long time so i would i would think it would be smart in order to get this done so it's not a, a lingering uh, thing that's going on the whole season as far as asking Travis what's going on with this kind of what's going on. And that just becomes a pain, especially when it's a coach. And if you're discussing, I'm not demeaning that it's just a coach, but if it's a coach that's going through contract swab and you got to listen to it all year long and then the media's got to ask questions and it's ongoing, it just seems like a very painful process. It doesn't need to happen. I don't think I, I, you know, I'm with you, Bird, and saying if somehow Travis Green played out his contract and left, that would be one of the biggest mistakes the Canucks have made in franchise history as long as this team's going forward. But you know what they always say when coaches leave, and I'm not saying this is Travis' situation because there's been enough changeover. But can you tell when the coach loses the room? That's what we always go with the media. He's lost the room, and I'm not suggesting Travis is that guy. But in other circumstances, you know. Is there truth to that? And how, as a player, do you see it happening? Uh, yeah, there is truth to it. I've, I've, I've been involved in, in some of those situations. And you can just tell when, when your big guns start tuning the coach out, you can easily see that uh, uh, affect the team as far as their play and all that. And usually when that ends up happening, it's a very short leash and it happens very quick. And I'm going to say it again for the second time. I think it would be, a, and like you said, I think it's going to be, it would be a ginormous mistake not to let Travis see this out at least for two or three more years going forward. Cause I believe that he's put this team in the right position to be successful. Um, obviously great drafting. Uh, they acquired some very good pieces, but I want to see them taking another step here and seeing, um, seeing the next two or three years that they can keep adding to this core. Cause I believe this core is good enough to get the job done at some point in time. It's just a matter of bringing in the right chess pieces to complement them and get them over the hump. But I, I, but I believe they're set up for success right now and for the next four or five years. And I'd like to see Travis at the helm of it. Yeah. I, and I think most people seem to, to, to like what Travis has kind of got. I mean, look, to see the growth of Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, who both look like franchise players and, and the trust that he's had in, in, in those young guys to go out and, and deliver, like, look at the minutes that, that Quinn Hughes had in the playoffs. Right. And um, we'll see where it evolves to, 
do do the does it impact the players though? Like, does this situation of flux does that does that create any sort of unrest from a player standpoint where you know that your boss is kind of has got some some flux in the air around him? Uh, honestly, from my perspective, me, no, I never really cared. I had to go out and and play and all that. It really didn't matter. But I'll tell you right now, though, if you look at it from other players' perspectives. When you've got a guy like Travis and you're playing a lot under him and you're playing some very good hockey, successful hockey, and you're having career years after years, you're the kind of player that's like, I don't want Travis to leave because you don't know what's coming in and whether that person's going to like you or like your game. Yeah, uh, he's got your back, play, right? Uh, so, well, yeah, because I've had, I've had, I've had coaches where I, – I, man, how do I say this? Uh, my best years came uh, under Crawford. It came under Crawford because of the amount of minutes I was playing. And those minutes equaled success. And I always knew that I had that with Crow. Um, and when I went to another situation, you're playing a lot less, and the coach might not like your game as much as this coach did. Or it, It's double-edged sword, man, when you're, when you're dealing with, with these coaches, man. And you really want your coach on your side um, because they're not, they can make life miserable and, uh, and your stake could be very quick. So uh, I, I think it's important for the growth of these kids and all that. And uh, every guy that you mentioned who's been having career years and, and, and great seasons and all that, they're the ones getting all the minutes from uh, Travis. So if, if you make the mistake and get rid of Travis, bring someone else in, are they going to like uh, how freewheeling Hughes is? how Travis allows him to get up the ice, or are you going to get more of a stalwart saying, stay at home. I don't want you rushing as much. We're playing better defense and all that. So, so there's a possibility, a chance that you can bring someone in that can take a lot away from a young kid's game. Well, I would imagine that, like players can grow with coaches, right? I mean, a lot of things, I don't care what we're talking about. It becomes relationships. I know your Crow's relationship wasn't great, but there was a respect factor as to what you could do on the ice and, and what he would do behind the bench. And I would think that's tougher. And you tell me, as you got along in your career a little older, you've seen more mm -hmm. and not that you would have been that guy. But I would imagine it's the 30, 33-year-olds that might be the first to turn out voices of coaches to go, hey, I don't have it. And to me, the Canucks just don't have that right now. They're growing together with Travis kind of playing the dad role with this team. Yeah, and, and, and obviously, you know, I'm biased because I'm, I'm very good friends with Travis. And I think he's an... He's, he's one of the top five coaches in the NHL, I believe. Um, I've talked to him a lot. I know how hard he works. He works extremely, extremely hard. He puts every single second that he has into this team and into uh, advancing his education on hockey and how can he create more offense? How can he play solid defense and still play top-end, high-end, fast offense? So, He's always pushing the line. He's always trying different things. He's thinking of different things. Uh, if I'm a young player, that's the kind of people or kind of person and coach that I want. Someone who is evolving with the times and and trying to uh, evolutionize uh, hockey even more offensively and defensively. So I, I, I think I think it's a great mix right now, and I hope that this doesn't become a lingering problem or issue through the media and and all year long because I, I think it could easily be. Uh, be solved and, and 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 with the amount of success and and where Vancouver Canucks are right now, 
I don't want to see them take a step back, man. They got things in a good place right now. And, and uh, I, I think that the future is bright and I would like to see uh, Travis be on the bench on that. Well, thanks for this. Nice to catch up with you this morning. Uh, here's hoping the future is bright in America. Good luck. Try not to screw it up. And if I find out you have a MAGA hat, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have to throw down, man. I'm gonna get you really okay, drunk. Send, Make sure you fall into the lake. I'll send you the picture in five minutes. Oh no. Oh no. I'm afraid, man. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm boarding up Our my house. Now. Has Biden winning by sixty eight percent, so Bert, that's what we're thinking up here. Hey you guys, by the way, so if, if I don't like who gets in there's a good chance I'll be moving out to Vancouver with you guys. So, you know what? You guys are going to get the best of both worlds. No, the border's closed, is, buddy. Is that, is that a threat now? Or <laughs> dude, I don't know dude, how dude. to take that. I'm, 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 I'm still Canadian, and you know what? You need no. me for this show. I entertain no. you. I keep you guys on your toes. No, You're British, Col- British Columbia is closed. Go ride your bike in the sauna. <laughs> uh, okay, boys. Take care, guys, buddy. Take care. Have fun out there. See you, See you guys. See you, buddy. There he is, Todd Bertuzzi. Um, there he is. Um Weighing in on Travis Green's future um, and, you know, just life. You know, it's that trust factor, right? You know, Pedersen is a is a green guy. You know what? Jake Vertanen is a Travis Green guy, right? For all the – like, Jake Vertanen's here because of Travis Green. Yes. Like, it's funny how, like, you know, nobody gets called out more <laughs> than Jake Vertanen, and yet Jake Vertanen um, – what you'd have to say is a is a Travis Green guy. Anyway, uh, twenty minutes after seven o'clock, uh, Sabalski Silkowski, and let's uh, be joined in the newsroom uh, from just down the hall at News Eleven Thirty. It's a busy day for them, and we thought we would uh, drag in our favorite newsie, Sonia Aslam, <laughs> to the fold. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? Favorite? Hey, wow! Look at that. Well, I'm just saying it because you're on the air. Oh, that's nice. If it was mm-hmm. like if it was Someone Bruce Claggett, if it was Bruce Claggett or. Richard Detman or somebody, I'd probably just say them instead. Richard's retiring. Yeah, I saw that. The yeah. money guy. Yeah, the, two the, weeks, the guys. That guy's a legend. He is yeah. a legend. Yeah, guess what, Perry? Your new biz editor. Amazing. I wouldn't mind that, right? Really? I he would. makes it interesting, oh. right? And I would think, shouldn't with all the financial information he gives us, shouldn't he have a, just a pile of money to retire to as well? Uh, I can't comment on that on the air. Like I, that's what, I'm just thinking, right? Like, if you're giving me the business news, like, it's just, you, you got to know. Although, that leads us into the election. Sometimes businessmen aren't that smart. <laughs> uh, yeah, amazing segue. Yeah, as, uh, U.S. presidential election goes today. Uh, it's already kind of messy. We talked about it yesterday. All the businesses are boarded up. And Donald Trump, just a few moments ago, said it's really hard for him to have friends so I don't know what that means. What? <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's hard when they when when you're the president of the United States and have been for four years. It's really hard to have friends and you know friends you can trust. Oh, I'm sorry. Is this is this sarcasm? Yeah. So uh, we'll probably get the results of you know the eastern states by about five o'clock our time. So that's when people in this province can sort of start watching uh, where the results are going to go. So Florida, everyone is, all the polls are showing is going to lean towards Biden. That's a really big deal. And if that is true, then that's a big loss for the the Republicans. Um, but it's just like, you know, it's just like our elections where we get the results on the East Coast way before anything else. So about five o'clock our time is when we'll start to get a really decent idea as to which way this election is going to go. And again, there's so many mail-in ballots. There's record mail-in ballots and advanced voting. So um, we're not going to get the final results tonight, but we'll have a really good idea. So I don't know. I think it's going to be messy. 
Does it go late, or do, or, or, or do you get a sense that this is going to be projected fairly early here? I think it'll be projected fairly early. Um, it, but again, I, we, we didn't think that was going to be the case four years ago. And almost instantly, it was like, oh, this is shocking and not good. And, you know, Trump won quite handily. So, um, you know, it, it's, I, it's such a matter of there's so many people who are anti-Trump who say they are, and that's fine, or are, you know, anti-Biden. But people can say one thing. It really comes down to what ballot you cast. And those are two very different things. So um, I think we'll have a pretty good idea a couple hours in which way this is going to go. But again, the again the, the final results aren't going to be out tonight just because they still have to count all the mail-in ballots and everything else. Sonia, do you get the sense that if, if the numbers aren't going in Trump's favor, we still won't hear from him? There will be no concession speech from him today? Have you ever heard him not speak or not take to Twitter at 3 o'clock in the morning? I can't imagine yeah, he's fair. not going to come out. As it, I can't and say something or he'll take to Twitter and do something. Twitter, I know yesterday, was flagging a bunch of his tweets um, as part of the no more misinformation on social media. This is a tweet by the president. It is not accurate. It's not correct. The facts are not there. And they're telling people. So I think if we start to see any results leaning toward Trump tonight, then he will come out and be like, hey, I won. And then he'll get lawyered up and he'll, you know, take it to the courts. I think either way, it's going to be messy. Uh, speaking of the numbers, uh, mm-hmm. not going in the right direction right now in the province of British Columbia. Ontario just announcing over a thousand new cases uh, yeah. this morning. Uh, and I mean, like, what what happens here in this province? Like, is there going to be a point where there's going to be some accountability for people behaving poorly beyond just a fine that feels like a slap on the wrist? Like, are we going to start tightening things up or what? No. That's the most blunt answer I can give. No, there's no indication right now for the province that they're going to, uh, you know, scale back into tighter restrictions and we're going to start changing things. The plea is really for people because the spike in cases we've seen. And just so everyone knows, we saw over 1,100 cases over three days in this province over the weekend. Um, Because a lot of these cases are being blamed on private gatherings, you can't really you know, outside of fines, which are already in place and tasking the cops to do their job or not even their job, but to break up these, you know, I'm going to say it again, stupid house parties. Um, it's there's not really much else they can do. It's it's not like these these infections are happening in restaurants and there's, you know, parties there. No, this is people privately hanging out with their friends when they're not supposed to be mm-hmm. and not following the easiest of rules like washing your hands. Things you learn in kindergarten, apparently people are having a hard time doing right now. Figure it out, people. Thanks, Sonia. Appreciate Thanks, it. Have fun today. Thanks. If you can. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> There she is, Sonia Aslam from the uh, News 1130 Newsroom. Uh, full election coverage uh, today and this evening on News 1130. They also have a reporter uh, in Seattle uh, with the latest uh, going on south of the border uh, this evening. All right, 26 minutes after 7 o'clock here on this Tuesday morning. James Perry hanging out with you. Um, lots to get to. Hey, you know what? A city councillor here is pushing the idea of Vancouver hosting the Olympics again as part of an economic recovery plan. Do you like the idea? Does it make sense? We'll dive into it next right here on Sportsnet 650. Now more of the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. 732, all pair. You and I were both on assignment 10 years ago. 
You were up in Whistler. I was in Richmond. I was at the Oval on uh, long track speed skating duty, and uh, I think we could all agree, anybody who experienced the 2010 Winter Games, it was like, man, work experience of a lifetime for me. Uh, I think anybody who was here just for the party, the hoopla, the celebration, the pageantry, the weather was great, all of it, unless you were, like, hoping to ski. Um, but now somebody's suggesting that should do it again. Yeah, it's funny. I haven't heard that music for a while, and I'll be honest, goosebumps, because that was a time the greatest sports time ever for this city we were lucky to have the jobs we did you know when you're working in this industry and the olympics are coming to your hometown it just doesn't get any bigger but can you do it again i mean is there anything like the first time no but james that's what they're thinking and john furlong was on our show about a year ago he was the first to float the idea and it's something they'll talk about this week at city council do you bring the olympics back to vancouver yeah, this is a motion by Councillor Melissa DiGenova, and they're going to discuss this tomorrow. And a lot of this is all based on the numbers surrounding 2010. So she originally brought this up back in April, but COVID-19 obviously changed things. Um, but here it is, and this is John Furlong who brought this up at the Vancouver Board of Trade luncheon uh, in February, the former Vanock chief. So... They're basically suggesting that there was basically a report from PricewaterhouseCoopers um, saying that more than 20,000 jobs in B.C. and across Canada were created prior to Vancouver hosting the 2010 Games. Um, more than 800 new businesses were created as a result of the economic growth stimulated by the Games. Um, the Olympics generated between 70 and 92 million in federal tax revenues. Over a billion dollars in real GDP um, jobs were created, and they were apparently, and they were good-paying jobs, right? Like this was apparently 8,300 positions, according to Stats Canada, in February of 2010, saying that average weekly earnings, including overtime, worked out to almost $850 a week. So that's going back 10 years ago. That's a pretty good wage in terms of where that was. So here's here's what I do wonder, though, like. Does what do the Olympics address beyond tourism, right? Is it is it affordability? I, I doubt that, right? I mean, the average like the average house price, it, the market is on fire again. The average house price is like over one and a half million dollars. You know, the infrastructure is there. I get that pair, but like, what's the legacy here, right? You look at the legacy. Like, no winter sports have made Vancouver home. Right. Everybody went back to Calgary after this. Right. Like nobody stuck mm -hmm. around. Everybody went to Calgary, whether it was an affordability standpoint for the athletes, whatever the case. But they train out of Lake Louise. They train out of Windsport in Calgary. Nobody stuck around. Like what are the biggest problems right now? Like, man, like that the downtown east side is a major problem right now is that going to fix it or is that just going to simply you know eh, we're going to find a place to move this so nobody sees this in the city right like i don't think My, any of this really addresses a fix by having another olympics here well yeah you know you're not expanding whistler there's there's a there's a big what we got from 2010 uh you know olympic village whistler lots of things at richmond oval uh, my initial reaction to this is no no but as, as you go past it, and, and I was there for the for the 10th anniversary where John Furlong had a long speech about it. 
And even then, and, and this is February, people, and does that not seem like a lifetime ago before we knew what COVID was? Um, you know, you just, the initial reaction then was, I don't know. But how it galvanized our city. And more importantly, you know, they were negotiating to the final minute to get the deal done. Vanock talking to the IOC and the IOC kind of with the hammer, being a bully, if you will, saying, oh, this is what it's going to take. And, and kind of getting squeezed where, where the Vancouver Olympic Committee going, okay, I guess we have to pay it. Well, well that has completely changed. You know, the Olympics are going back to, to Beijing in a couple of years. If they get off the ground in Tokyo, there's not a lot of people who are saying, hey, yeah, we'll bring you on board. So now if you have that infrastructure, if you can negotiate a deal, the one word we're always using in sports, negotiate. If you can work out a deal with the IOC, where you are not bleeding money to get it, because I think what we're seeing now and the effects in Serb and all that, 10 years from now, we are going to be in the middle of it all. But a bold move, but I do think it's a move that would be right for the city to say, yeah, I don't think you got a lot of people talking. So here's what we have and here's what we need. And I think Vancouver would have some leverage and be in a position of power to make a play for it in 2030. Right now, no, but 10 years from now, who knows what kind of world we're in and maybe everybody's coming back here. I, I just don't, in 10 years from now, look, there's a lot of infrastructure that's in place. So there's there's a sense of a plug and play even 20 years after, you know, the games are ready to go. I, so I think that there's an element of that that checks the boxes. But I just think that right now, like, is this the answer to bring back the Olympics? Like, look, there's still a sizable cost, even though there is now a pushback globally to say, you know what, the Olympics... Uh, the IOC, there's now a bit of a market correction, but man, it is still billions of dollars. Like, is that the investment going forward? You know, I, I think Vancouver has kind of shown the growth. Yeah, I get like tourism's taken an absolute beat down this year, just as everybody has been impacted from a tourism standpoint around the world, right? Like, I get it. Like, the borders have been closed, the cruise ship season, people got wrecked. But in 10 years from now, like, is that going to change it? Like, in theory, we should have a vaccine by then, right? In theory, oh, the, do sure. the, the doors should be open once again for business. You know, but are the Olympics the answer again for another two-week bash here? Mm, no thanks. That The difficulty, James, is they're talking about it now. And we're all living in the moment. To have the foresight, and I'll give John Furlong credit to just go, hey, you know, it was 2003 when it was announced that Vancouver would get it. You had seven years to prepare, and it was a different different setup. So, you know, you make this move now. You show your interest now. Who knows? In nine years' time, maybe you go, this was the perfect call. They made that call in the middle of a crisis to go after it. They negotiated a good deal to say we're one of the cities. They didn't have to change much as far as the buildings that they need. And by then, everything's back to normal. And people said, hey, I was there. 20 years later, I'm going again. Uh, risky, but I do think there could be some real benefit as long as we have some strong negotiators on side and we don't get muscled around. And the IOC has done that for the Olympics since the first inception to bring in private companies in 84 and Coca-Cola got on board. There's ways to make money. And maybe 10 years down the road, you go, the timing could be absolutely perfect to have Vancouver host the games again. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Somebody texting in, James, how do you fix the downtown east side? You know what? That is a, an amazing question. It's fan, 
it's a fascinating one, and I don't have the answer for it completely. But I will say this. I think a start, a start to try to fix the downtown east side is to invest in mental health. Right? What do we talk so much about the bubble for the NBA, for the NHL pair, and the stories that came out of it and how taxing it was mentally on the players mentally dealing with this sort of adjustment being in this bubble, right? Mental health, we are just starting to scratch the surface in terms of understanding, right? And they, the numbers out there will tell you that one in four people or one in five are impacted with some form of mental health. You know, our our Sportsnet 650 Canucks analyst, Corey Hirsch, is, is a mental health advocate and spokesperson. But, man, look at we just had a provincial election here just in the last couple of weeks. And, man, like, what wasn't promised, Pear? Like, every you get a car, you get a car, you get a car, you get a new road, you get this, you get that. You get a thousand bucks here. Like, every promise was made. Every promise was made by the parties in order all these election goodies. And not once did we hear, man, we are going to spend some money on mental health and try to clean stuff up. Like, cops cannot be the frontline mental health workers. They can't be the ones to be the ones to figure out mental health issues. It's just not. That shouldn't be what we rely on, that a cop shows up to deal with mental health issues. we got to spend more. Like, whether we like it or not, that's got to be something we got to do. It's I think that's a start to try to fix it's the downtown east side, and I don't know if the Oli- and I don't know if the Olympics are going to do that. I like is, is that part of the Olympic budget, mental health, to try to help clean up the downtown east side? I don't see twenty thirty being the remedy for that. Well, you know the the famous story goes when they were taking all the IOC members to show them where the skating would be taking place at the Pacific Coliseum, and starting from Rogers Arena, you know your closest line is to head through downtown east side, and they completely went around it so they wouldn't see that part of our city it's part of our city uh you know what there's three people that live in my house and two of them work down there a fair bit and you're exactly right you know my wife worked down there for a long time she said she never felt safer once you get to know the people no one chooses to be there and you're exactly right when it's mental health is the issue because we've closed too many situations and pushed people down into the streets um no but you know and you can get into it It, the money involved in the olympics There are better ways to spend it always when you look at how you can make your community better. But to also find a resurgence and an injection of money, I would say everybody thought what we paid for 2010 worked. There were people who left the city for 2010 going, I don't want to be here for it. I'm not going to, I don't care about it. It's a waste of money. And then they came back and kind of said, geez, that might've been the dumbest thing to do to not be here for it. Is it too quick to have the conversation now is the difficult part because of where we're at. But 10 years from now, I think people might go, boy, that was a really smart move. Look at the world's a little bit back to normal and they're all coming to help our situation out. Has to be completely different at the at the table as far as negotiatings are concerned. But I like this. I like this play by the city. I like the play by John Furlong. I think it makes some sense to get it done right now. How it helps us. Well, you can you can figure that out for now. But you got to say you're in early else you don't even get a chance to be at the table. 
All right, 743, uh, we'll continue the conversation. Uh, your Canucks commute coming up at 8 o'clock, 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, Mike saying, if the Olympics get a bridge to build, build to replace the Massey Tunnel, I'm all in. <laughs> yeah, okay, Mike, I'm with you on that one. Uh, Carl also texting in, Olympics would be great, no capital costs needed as well there, so make the money. Uh, all right, so coming up in a moment, there's no BS around here, Pear. It is election day. There's going to be a lot of hyperbole. But no BS, right? Just something that's straight PS and some medical advice. If you're an NFL player and you're in the state of California, don't give a doctor a needle. We'll give you those details. Straight ahead. Sports at 650. Hmm, let's see. I know who I want for all the judges and propositions, but president, that's a stumper. Can I write in Judge Judy? You're hesitating over President? Dad, by all that's decent, how could you forget everything that's happened the last four years? This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. <laughs> Simpsons tackling their own version of uh, what's going down with today's U.S. election. Sabolski, Solkowski, Perry, the floor is yours, my friend. Yeah, there's a fair bit of BS out there over the last four years, according to some. Nothing but P.S. for you right now. Uh, let's begin. A lot of people with platforms and followers taking to social media, obviously, over the last couple of days, especially the last 24 hours. Found this one for you, Seaball. Someone telling to get out and make sure you vote. It was one of your faves. What are you? I'm Batman. Yeah, there you go. Little Michael Keaton stepping up. Had this to say yesterday. Hey, everybody. This is Michael Keaton, your fellow Pennsylvania. This is it. It's come down to us. We get the chance to be the hero right now. The buzzer beater. The walk-off. Don't just do it for Joe and Kamala. Do it for your little brother, your little sister. Do it for the next generation. Do it for the environment. For justice. For equality. And just to end this insane chaos. Four more years of that. I don't think so. Michael Keaton, the best Batman. You know, I was always a little critical of, no, no, he's not. You know, and uh, it's crazy to say, but I would say that Ben Affleck might be the best Batman. I, oh. I thought it was going to be a tire fire when he got named for that role. Ben Affleck was outstanding. Keaton was good, but Ben had the look, he had the, the charm. He had the, just everything. He kind of brought it. Yeah. On, on, if, if they're walking down the street, you would think, yeah, Ben Affleck, yeah, that guy could be no. a superhero, not Michael Keaton. But I like but I like what Keaton had to say there. Yeah. Hey, uh, P.S., when the Last Dance documentary came out, remember that? We're a pandemic, everyone's staying in. It kind of brought Isaiah Thomas's name up again, Michael Jordan talking about it. I mean, let's remember, Isaiah Thomas, the guy could ball. Thomas running the show for the Pistons, takes it himself. And Isaiah Thomas help. with 12. Yeah, Isaiah Thomas uh, would take it himself, and Isaiah Thomas thinks a lot about himself. Uh, he was talking about the greatest athletes ever and how they do so much more, not only on the court, but off the court. So that's why Muhammad Ali is the greatest. So he said, listen, I mean, you, you've got to carry the torch. Bill Russell did it. Then Kareem did it. Then Dr. J did it. Then I carried it. And now LeBron just completely forgetting about MJ and Magic Bitter. That's Isaiah Thomas. You know, 
I, I think back to like how lovable Isaiah was with the smiling, but he was known as the smiling assassin, right? Like, mm-hmm. like Isaiah had he hit it really well, but he could be rhymes with Rick, right? And um, oh, guaranteed. You know, and I think that was the one thing that he could play hard. He, hey, look, he's a Hall of Fame player. Like, you can't deny that. Like, Isaiah uh, Isaiah Thomas was phenomenal. And you know what also did a lot? Remember when Magic Johnson came back and played in the All-Star game after testing positive for, uh, for HIV? They were greatest of And he hugged him, and he gave him a kiss on the cheek. Like, man, like, you talk about acceptance. But Isaiah trying to rewrite history now, eh, swing and a miss. Yeah, I think he wanted acceptance with all those guys now in retirement, and it's not going that way. Hey, P.S., Christian Wilkins can ball. Big Miami D lineman with his first interception on the weekend. Yeah, hey, thanks to our, our listener who uh, who got to me and they said, hey, man, Perry, you got to talk about him. So the guy makes the nice interception, and then he goes on Zoom and decides, listen, I'm a big fella, but let me tell you how I read that play. Let me take it to the mind of a, of a, of a, of a defensive back, you know. They call me the drop. Uh, it gets all in the hips. I just really had to open my hips and break on the ball. You know what I'm saying? I, I saw I, I saw the line of the quarterback. You know, I see where he wanted to go. So I just had to break, follow his eyes. I was able to break um, and make a nice play for the team. Just happy to make plays that uh, help us win. The big man saying, let me take you into the mind of a DB. Like everyone wants to be someone else. The fact is, and we've seen it with some young quarterbacks, when you talk about some of the defensive linemen in the NFL, they are so big. They are so quick. They think they're DBs, other than the fact that they're 300 pounds. But, man, the athletes that play in the NFL, they're incredible, and he is one of them. Yeah, no question about it. P.S., speaking of big guys, Raiders star lineman Trent Brown, still in hospital. He did not play in the game on Sunday. Why? And we've heard this before, a botched IV injection that he was given. You're going to give it a shot. You're going to give it a shot. I ain't giving it a shot. I ain't giving it a shot. I never done this before. I ain't never done it before either, all right? I ain't starting now. Yeah, like you would think the doctor would be okay, but apparently he was rushed to hospital, mishapped the pregame, caused air to enter his bloodstream. I mean, that is some serious stuff. But you remember Tyrod Taylor, when he was in California, gets the injection that's wrong and goes into his ribs. And now Trent Brown in a serious situation. Carr said, said before the game, we're just all of a sudden we see him leaving on a stretcher. We started praying. But, man, that's a couple episodes in the eight weeks of football where the doctors have been on the wrong end of administrating some care to their players. It's crazy to think, like, this happens and, and multiple times this season now. And not only that, like Justin Herbert, who our Monday morning quarterback, Natea J yesterday, saying if he had to pick a quarterback to build his team around between Joe Burrow Justin Herbert or Tua Tungabailoa, he'd take Herbert because he loves the deep ball. But we probably don't see Justin Herbert this year at this point if Tyrod Taylor doesn't have his lung punctured because of a, a needle. That's exactly it, right? It, it will be Crazy. the strangest start to a career ever. And and Tyrod was okay. He came out and watched the game. For Trent Brown, there's some concern. Still hadn't left the hospital yet uh, because, the you know, you get air into your system. And the bloodstream. Uh, there's some serious consequences that can happen, so they have to monitor him. But boy, yeah, I think some NFL players, when they're going to see a doctor right now, are going, okay, hang on here. That's, uh, are we all okay with this? So some scary news, but be careful. None of that was BS, everybody. Just PS.
All right, five minutes to uh, 8 o'clock here at Canucks Commute, just around the corner. A reminder this hour, a presentation of Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Buter Street in Vancouver, or check them out online at DunbarLumber.com. One of the countries, and especially uh, one of the best columnists in these parts, Gary Mason will drop on by. We'll talk a little bit about what's set to go down tonight in the U.S., also a little bit on the Canucks, and... Gary insists that we have to talk about the 12s as well. It's all coming up next right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. A cup of joe and the Canuck commute. When I went to another situation, you're playing a lot less, and the coach might not like your game as much as this coach did. Or It's double-edged sword, man, when you're when you're dealing with, with these coaches, man. And you really want your coach on your side. Um, because they're not, they can make life miserable. A five-star morning on the starting lineup. Sabalski, Silkowski, what's going on? Your Canucks commute here on this Tuesday edition of the starting lineup on Sportsnet 650. It is pouring out there. I think the last time we saw rain like this, somebody built an arc pair. Yeah, uh, pouring out there, and this is the 25th anniversary of the uh, first ever game for the Vancouver Grizzlies, so shout out to Othello Harrington. It's raining in Vancouver basketball is the topic of conversation. Oh, Othello. Let's get into that. You know what? We get into this with uh, with Gary. It was also 25 years ago today that the Vancouver Grizzlies played their first ever NBA game. Uh, they beat Portland. Uh, they actually won their first two games. Uh, got off to a 2-0 start and then proceeded to lose 19 straight after that and finished with just 15 wins and 67 losses. But, you know, somebody texted in, uh, in addition to all the others who are absolutely um, killing me for my choice of Ben Affleck as uh, the best Batman on screen. But I would say that, Per, think of the time that the Grizzlies came onto the scene here in Vancouver. Like, the market was fertile where the Grizzlies could have seized this market had they got off to a winning start, right? Like the Canucks were in a, they were in bad shape at that time. Like after that 94 Stanley Cup run, like the empire, the Quinn empire at the time fell apart, right? They went into a rebuild. Trevor got traded. Pavel was gone not long after that. And like they broke up the band. They brought in Messier, kind of dark years for the Canucks. And there were a lot of empty seats in the building. Like, there was an opportunity for the Grizzlies to seize this market. Now, they didn't get enough time to play it out, but my goodness, they were awful. They were absolutely horrible. And we're talking, like, all-time league history in that sort of discussion awful. I have no doubt if the Grizzlies would have remained and this would have been their 25th anniversary season, that at some point in that 25 years, they would have been more popular than Vancouver Canucks. At some point, their season would have meant more to the sports fans in Vancouver than the Canucks because the Canucks would have had some tough years. Now, this will always be a Canucks town. And if both teams were successful, it would mean more for Vancouver Canucks hockey fans. There's more of a history. But, you know, the Grizzlies came in, so you have to lay that groundwork. They started their, you know, the Grizzly Basketball League, which Steve Nash took over, right? You had to grow that fan base. And now that fan base would be, you know, 35, 40. I think the basketball crowd and the basketball fans in this city, um, there's a lot stronger than it was. No question about it. And I do think there are some hardcore basketball fans here. If we had our own team, and there's a lot of people that rock their Grizzlies outfit now just for memorabilia. 
But I would suggest last year in Toronto, more people cared about the Raptors than they did the Leafs because the Leafs just couldn't get it going. So, yeah, 25 years, if we could have handled it, it would have taken some time. And time is the one thing they never had because the team was so bad so early. You, you, need, you need to win a little bit to grow the fan base. Hardcore fans were there, but you needed to win. And it would have taken some time and took some money and just was never going to work out. But this is an NBA city, always remains to be an NBA city in my mind. Well, and, and that's it just feels like such a miss. Um, and, and you know what? We see this like the last five years as the Canucks went through a rebuild, like the Whitecaps had that opportunity, right? Like the Whitecaps yeah. had the opportunity to jump in there and seize the moment. And they missed like they swung and they missed like five years to really seize the moment, seize this marketplace. And look where they are. I mean, they've been a disaster the last two years under Mark DeSantos. But it's these missed opportunities, and now the Canucks brand is starting to get as hot as it's been in in an awfully long time. When you've got the excitement around Pedersen and the excitement around Hughes, the Grizzlies swung and missed 25 years ago, and it, we're kind of getting a deja vu with other pro sports teams. You know, the Vancouver Warriors, man. Like, at what point do people kind of just, eh, the novelty wears off in this new shiny product? Like, imagine how much different that looks like if they burst onto the scenes and they kick ass. Right, but they've had two I'll years. Say this, there, though, what's James, it been? Uh, listen, everybody lives in this city. There's an attitude. A lot of not a lot of the country. This country doesn't like us because hey, now we're complaining about rain, but other people are bracing for snow. There is an attitude to the west coast of Vancouver, and part of that attitude is we think we're the best. We are world class city. Bring us the Olympics one more time. We did it so well, and that's fine. I embrace that, but I think the one thing the sports fans want to see, I want to see the best in the world. Hey, Pedersen might be one of the best in the world. Quinn Hughes could be one of the best in the world. All right, our team is now competing for a Stanley Cup. With the MLS and the Vancouver Whitecaps, that's not the, the best in the world, right? If you're good, you're selling these players on. They had one of the best in the world in Alfonso Davies. They didn't market that right. So it's always second tier, and you will you will find the attitude in the staunchy soccer fan. No, no, I watch Premier League. I don't want to watch the Whitecaps. I don't watch MLS. That's not good soccer. With basketball, you're dealing with the best in the world. Here's the best in the world. Here it is. Top notch. Great. You're going to see it. And then it was taken away from us because you got a 65 cent dollar. You know, you, you talk lacrosse and all that. Hey, sports town. It's a good sports town if you're winning. But they want to see the best because we're an international city. We're a city that people want to move to. So that means whatever the product is, it better be the best players in the world. And the only two leagues that you talk about, if you can't get the NFL, then you go, okay, give me hockey and then give me the NBA. And now there would be a big fan base to watch those NBA players. Well, and, and look at how the game has grown. Like, look look across oh. look across the country and how many NBA players are coming out of the GTA, right? Or guys, yeah. that are, guys that have come out of Southern Ontario, whether it's Jamal Murray or Andrew Wiggins, uh, Tristan Thompson. Like, we've seen a lot of really good – and guys who are, like, taken in the top ten, right? Um, R.J. Barrett, you know, you're seeing all this talent coming through in the last few years. Like, we don't see that here and the same impact. Obviously, we're a smaller province compared to Ontario, but, man, how much different would it be if we had the backdrop of an NBA team still here, right? Like, you could make a point that 25 years later, like, this could be a Grizzlies town, right? The fact that this is an international city as well, how that sport's grown, Let's get into exactly, it. Exactly, uh, right? Your best yeah. players from Greece. You've got star players from Spain. You know, Yao Ming was the exception, not the rule. 
right? You're, they're just still learning how to grow their game globally. Uh, man, I have no doubt that if they were still here, there would be years where they they would have surpassed the the Canucks in popularity, and we'd be able to handle both. Well, let's uh, let's uh, be joined by the conversation with uh, hey, one of the best columnists around these parts, and one of the top across the country for that matter as well from the Globe and Mail, Mr. Gary Mason. Mace, how are you, sir? Good boys, how you guys doing? I'm good. I know you have uh, the one the one request you have made is we can get into the Seahawks and and we can certainly do that momentarily. But uh, but tell me this, man, like 25 years ago today the Grizzlies made their debut. I mean, what yeah. what should have been here in this market, don't you think? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I I think that uh man, it was, it's I, it's like kind of hard to believe, you know. It it was just it was just such a fun ride, but it was just way, way too short. But man, I, I just remember those those early years, you know, when Canucks absolutely stunk and the Grizzlies were the story in in Vancouver. And uh I mean they had a great, great, you know, uh fan base. I really I really believe that. The the problem was, you know, the the, the corporate the money wasn't there to the extent that it was probably needed but man it, it was great and i really do believe that this town supported an nba team absolutely well i think gary there's a bigger fan base now right like yeah. even with the team gone i think there's more basketball fans in this city than there were when the grizzlies even came here would you agree yeah totally 100 percent. i mean uh in a way the raptors have helped make uh a lot of uh canadians basketball fans and uh uh i mean you know, we we had a base of support here that was larger than a lot of other cities, maybe outside of Toronto. Uh, it probably was the largest, uh, you know, basketball fan base in the country outside of Toronto. And uh, you know, I, I and you're absolutely right, Perry. I mean, it's 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 likely bigger today, far bigger today than it was, you know, back in the day. Gary Mason with us here on Sportsnet 650. Um... Okay, let's get to the twelves first. Let's do the good news before we get to the bad news. And, and day here, Mace. But um, yeah. do, do, are you are you buying what the Seahawks are selling this year? I mean, they they get back with a nice, convincing win over you know their arch rivals, the Niners, over the weekend. Defense yeah. looked better, but I mean, is it a team you can trust right now? No, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, it, it, they're a hard team to uh, be a fan of just because their games are so hard to watch. I mean, everything, you know, goes down to last, to the last minute. Although this, this past weekend was, uh, was probably the most enjoyable game of the season to watch. I, I thought they looked great. I mean, I thought that, uh, you know, obviously the defense looked uh, as good as it's ever looked. Uh, but what I, what I find really encouraging is that, you know, obviously they're getting a lot of players back this week. You know, they're, you know, they're going to have Jamal Adams back. Uh, Dunlop is probably going to play. Um, Max Harrison isn't ready yet, but uh, and maybe Shaquille Griffin, but I, that could be a question mark as well. But anyway, their, their defense is only going to get better, and they've got they've got three big games coming up, and then the schedule really moves into their favor. I mean, they've got Buffalo this weekend, L.A., and then Arizona again. I mean, if they could even if they could come out of that two and one. Uh, that would be fantastic because then we go, then we play, you know, the Jets, the Giants, Washington, the Eagles. I mean, they could they could run the table there quite easily. Then we got San Francisco again at the end and uh, L.A. again. But uh, so anyway, I'm buying. 
buying, definitely buying what they're selling. I, I just looks is he looks as good as he's ever looked, and he's got a weapon he's never had before. So I'm I'm excited as as a huge Seahawks fan, as you guys know. I'm I'm really really excited. Uh, Gary, you're a big Seahawks fan, but you you have been a sports aficionado for decades, and you've seen some great moments. Where does Russell Wilson sit? Because you're not a journalist. You can be a fan for him. Yeah. But as yeah. to a guy who makes you go, okay, uh, uh, you know, how did he do that? Have you said that more about him than any other athlete you've followed? Oh, probably, you know, w- without, without a doubt. The, the thing that kind of angers me about R- Russell is that I don't really think he gets the credit he deserves on the national stage. You know, like uh, the, the, the fact that, he has never got a single vote for MVP in that league. Absolutely blows my mind. I mean, he's going to get some this year for sure. Um, but I mean, obviously, he's the greatest Seahawk that's ever worn a uniform. Seahawks uniform was without a doubt. And he's you know he's only in his eighth season. Um, it's just you know I was saying to somebody the other day, Perry. It's incredible when you look at sort of the last ten years, how many guys that have suited up for the Seahawks. They're, they're going to be in Canton, no, no doubt about it. You know, Earl Thomas is going to be there. Uh, Sherman's going to be there. Bobby Wagner's going to be there. Um, Russell's going to be there. Um, you know, uh, who, who knows, you know, and who knows among the, you know, DK Metcalf, you know, could be there at the, at the rate he's going. Um, it, it's just, it's phenomenal. I just feel so fortunate that, you know, to have been a fan you know, not being a sports columnist anymore has allowed me to become the fan that I always was of the Seahawks, but I couldn't, you know, because I had to be fairly dispassionate while I was writing about sports. But now I've been able to embrace the team on a level that I wasn't able to before. And I just feel so fortunate to have been, you know, been a fan of this team through a period that is just, you know, unparalleled in the team's history. You know, it's funny you make that point about just uh, stepping away when you're in this business. You you kind of put that cloak of impartiality to a degree, anyway, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And I feel like the, the industry's changed a little bit. Where you know, and I think you know, I, I re- I'll say Bill Simmons, I think deserves a lot of credit for you know being the page two sports guy at ESPN a few years ago to kind of just being the unabashed Celtics guy. And I think you see that now a lot with with yeah. writing where people kind of share that. Oh, I'm a you know the diehard fan, but. You know, Mace, it's funny, as you know, going back a few years ago, you know, between Sportsnet gigs, you know, and working in the newsroom at, at News 1130, yeah. you know, just working as a newsie, kind of just sitting back as a fan. Man, it was a lot of fun for a few months. Like, it was a <laughs> lot of fun to just like, like you said, like, I'm kind of jealous where you're at, where you, you know, like all of a sudden watching like the Jays and the playoff run in 2016, it was like, you're screaming at the TV and you're kind of like, I, I don't scream at the TV too often. Unless the Bears are driving me nuts, but it's like for the most part, that uh, you you lose out on that fandom. That do you, do you like? Is that the one thing you you you've kind of got back now that you kind of oh, are, are a hard news one, guy? One one hundred percent. I mean, um, and and the other thing is, you know, it allowed my wife to become a huge Seahawks fan too. I mean, she embraced the team, and then you know we've got season tickets, so we're down there all the time. I mean, we've become such fans that we travel on the road to to watch the Seahawks. What? Team. It, oh, oh yeah. wow! We've been, we've been all over the states, you know, in 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 stadiums following the team. I mean, and that and that's another great thing. I was actually just watching. I was looking at a picture that's on my desktop today of Barb and I with Marshawn's mom. We went to a, a, a bar uh, where all the Seahawks gathered when they played down at uh, uh, L.A. Coliseum uh, a few years ago, 
And, uh, and that was just a great night. But, you know, when you're on the road with the Seahawks, they have such great, they have such great bands. And we all gather, you know, it's always, you know, there's on Facebook, we sort of talk about which bar we're going to get. It's, it's, it's epic, epic parties. It's, it's, it's great. Oh, did we lose did we lose mace did we lose mace for a second there yeah see this is a Uh-oh. reminder that the cell companies need to improve service in Tawasin here i'm saying <laughs> that that's for all of us including my employer here man when i only have one bar on a phone anyway, yeah I, I digress it does do sports yeah. tell me this mace um do do sports become less political if trump loses tonight I, I think so. I mean, I, I think there's no question that that Trump, you know, weaponized what we saw happening, you know, uh, in NFL stadiums for sure. You know, with Kaepernick, I mean, he he definitely weaponized that to work up his, you know, whip up his base and, and get them all excited. I mean, you know, this this past weekend we we saw you know the chance LeBron James sucks and. I mean, he, he encourages that, you know, and I, I don't think it, it I don't think it's helped him at all in the in the waning days of the campaign. Those images, I don't think they've helped him. I mean, the, the people that are impressed by that are his base and, you know, they're going to support him. But I don't think he brought any more voters to the table, uh, you know, with those images and, and videos from from those rallies. But I, I do think I think I think we will go back to normal a little bit. Uh, for sure, if, if Biden wins, and 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 I, I, for one, will will welcome that. Well, and but I, I wonder one thing, Gary. As Gary Mason joins us, um, you know, I, I believe you know Trump was the guy who called the NFL players the SOBs. He's the guy that yesterday talks about LeBron James. But I do think the athletes realize they now have a platform that they don't necessarily have to stay quiet. Is that a good thing that the athletes are now active? And we don't have to agree with them. My goodness, Bobby Orr's one no. that you will hear from athletes. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, athletes have always kind of, you know, spoken out in, in maybe not to the extent that they have recently. And maybe they didn't have the same reason as they, you know, as they have these days, especially black athletes in the United States. Um so I think maybe maybe that has Perry maybe that has created a new norm where players will feel uh, uh, you know like they have permission to to speak out and maybe maybe they'll feel a need to speak out because they are whether we like it or not they're role models in the community and they can influence a lot of people and maybe in fact that they they'll feel now that they have a responsibility to speak out and not just sit back and stay silent. Um, so, so maybe that maybe that is something that will have come out of this that I think that I think is positive. You know, um, we don't have to agree with everything that they say, but in some respects, I, I think it's I think it's great that that they have spoken out. You know, I wish I wish uh, some other athletes in other sports would would have the courage to speak out because it, in in some cases it does take a lot of courage to speak out. Because you know that not everyone's going to agree with you, especially in the United States right now, which is an incredibly divided country. So you speak out on political issues at your peril because you're going to get death threats and who knows what else. Uh, that just comes with the territory. So, um, 
Yeah, so maybe Perry, maybe the maybe the landscape has changed a little bit, and we'll and we'll see we'll see politics, you know, become a little bit more politicized. But having said that, I, I don't think Joe Biden is going to use sports uh, in the in the in the same way that Donald Trump did. Yeah, he's going to go after Dana White. He's going to go that Dana White. He's going to get a kick in the ass from me. Uh, Gary Mason from the Globe and Mail with us here this morning on Sportsnet 650. You know, everything that you said completely resonates. But on the flip side of that, we've also seen a couple of, like, respective goats, if you will, or at least you can make a great case for goats in their respective sport over the last week, Gary. Jack Nicholas, the Golden Bear, he speaks up politically for the first time maybe ever. And then you look at Bobby Orr, who it really hit home for a lot of people with his endorsement of Donald mm-hmm. Trump. And, and to not and not just to go to social media, but like to spend some of his own money to take out an ad in a newspaper and a full page ad at that. Like that's not cheap, even though like the, the, the industry's kind of taken yeah. a bit of a beating the last few years. But, you know, the reaction that and the backlash that they have faced for speaking up in support of the guy who I think, you know, people look at on the wrong side of the fence here. Yeah, I mean. In both those cases, that I mean, pers- speaking personally, they, those those really hurt. You know, I'm a huge Jack Nicholas fan and massive Bobby Orr fan. I mean, I I really and you know, I'm and I mean fan. I mean, I, I kind of suspected Nicholas as Republican. I mean, a lot of people in, in on the PGA Tour and associated with golf in the United States are Republicans. That's just the way it is. I mean, it's, it's still a rich person sport mostly, and. Uh, so, I mean, I, I knew that Nicholas is a, a Republican, but for him to come out and say those things about Trump, I, I was just like so upset. And then Bobby Orr doing the same thing, like the or kind of really that was a curveball. I didn't see coming. I honest to God, I just I, I'm going, oh, my God, you have to be kidding. But you know what? I think they're both they both have paid a really heavy price for that. And I'm not sure what was motivating them to do it, like what's really behind it. I mean, I think in Nicholas's case, I mean, there's obviously the Trump administration gave, you know, his hospital charities twenty million dollars. So maybe he felt beholden to Trump in, in that respect. I know they've golfed together. Um uh, so, I mean, but still, nonetheless, I, I think in both cases, and you probably, I don't know if you guys agree or not, but I'm sure you've discussed this many times, but I mean, I think they've sullied their reputations. They they have yeah. really, really, I think there are a lot of diehard die fans like me, uh, both of those guys are just like, oh, you got to be kidding. I mean, I'll always love Bobby Orr as a hockey player. But as a person, I've, I'm really, I've, it's like I've totally reappraised my opinion of him on, on that level. Especially Bobby. I mean, he is loved in uh, Canada. Bobby could walk down Los Angeles and people would know who he is. He can't walk down any major city in, in Canada without people stopping and asking him for an autograph. I'm more surprised at that one than Jack Nicholas for sure. Hey, Gary, before we yeah. let you go, we're up against it. City Council is going to talk tomorrow about the 2030 Olympics coming to Vancouver. Agree or disagree? Uh, I, I don't, I disagree. I, I, I really don't. I don't, yeah. I don't think, I think it's too soon. And I just don't think there, there's an appetite for, it. I think it's, I think we're trying to force something that really doesn't feel right at all. Yeah. Just playing, playing to the fans, looking for the cheap pop though. Right. Hey, yeah. the Olympics, remember how good that was 10 years ago? What a party it was. Yeah. yeah I'm with you on yeah. that one. Nice. No, no. Um, we got your Seahawk talking. Yeah. 
Thanks. Thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate <laughs> it. And uh, let's see how they do against the Bills. That's going to be yeah. a tough one, but I think we'll do okay. Yeah. You also you also clarify that your fridge is full for tonight's uh, viewing party, right? <laughs> the question is, when do we start drinking? You know, like <laughs> that's that's the only thing. I gotta gotta talk to my friends and say, okay, like when when's it okay? You know. So, um, yeah. but I'm looking forward to it. it it's it's. I mean, I, I mean, I'm I'm still. Fingers crossed it, it goes okay. In an ideal world, Trump loses and the Democrats control both the you know the House and the Senate. I mean, they just need a few Senate races to turn in their favor and, and have the Senate too. So, I mean, that'll be the end of Donald Trump. Uh, God, I can't wait. And then, and <laughs> like as you know, uh, a tweet that's gone crazy for us, Todd Bertuzzi told us in the 7 o'clock hour, if I don't like who gets voted in, I might be moving back to Vancouver. He's a Trump guy. So Bertuzzi oh. might be coming back. There's a story for you, Mace. He, Bertuzzi's a Trump guy? Yeah, apparently. I think he likes, yes. Kind of admitted to that this morning, yep. Oh, God. Okay. He can stay in Point Roberts. We'll keep him there. Yeah, he can stay in Point Roberts. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Gary. Oh, my God. Okay, boys. Nice care. to catch up with you. Thank you. you there he is. Gary Mason from the uh, the Vancouver Sun. Uh, we could go Globe and Mail now. I'm so used to him with the, with the Sun for so long. But the Globe and Mail uh, weighing in Seahawks, Canucks, Grizzlies, Olympics, and uh, a big election south of the border. 27 minutes after 8 o'clock. You know, I want to share with you a, uh, an email that one of our listeners sent in just about where things are at and kind of be, taking us to task over, you know, sports and politics these days. And love to share it with you and tell us whether you feel the same way or not. That's all still ahead right here on your home of the Canucks, home of Vancouver Hockey, Sportsnet 650. Welcome to the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. 832. I just point out in Chris Wall's update there moments ago, Pear. The Los Angeles Dodgers lost not one, but two Cy Young candidates. And they still won the World Series. Like that would demolish almost any other franchise. And they win the World Series despite losing two aces. Spent some money. Got Mookie bets. Made themselves better. Kept knocking on the door. I, I, You know, normally I don't like teams that spend the money and find success. But the Dodgers and maybe, you know, with Kershaw, they've had so much heartbreak in the last couple of years. And maybe the Astros and what happened there. I was okay with them winning. Like, I was okay. I'm not a Yankee guy, and I, I don't mind New England because I wanted to see them set records. I was okay with the Dodgers uh, spending the money, getting the most out of their players, having that swagger and attitude, and finding success. No, I, I, I won't root for them next year. Uh, I'd, I'd rather go with you know the little guy winning it, but I was okay with the Dodgers. That's that's the good thing about the NFL this year. You know, you see the Bucks and the Devon White, uh, the Bucks just going. You know what? With last year, we were the we were the uh, we were doing the hunting. Now we're the hunted. I'm okay with that. I like people coming at us. Um, I like that story. There's a lot of good NFL stories. Patrick Mahomes, such a good guy. Kansas City struggled for so long. I'm okay with Kansas City still being good. But uh, for the Dodgers, they spent their money. They got their championship. Move on. Hope they don't celebrate another one for 30 years. And David Price didn't pitch either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. There's a right. lot of horses that they uh, did not have, and they still won. Uh, I want to share with you 834 here on this uh, Tuesday morning. It is Election Day in the U.S. Look, there's been a lot of 
topics over the last number of months that have resonated not just from a social issue but have become sports issues you know whether it's protests speaking out um, obviously the pandemic speaking of the Dodgers I mean look at how we kind of view the pandemic right now the numbers going through the roof here in this province and the behavior from some people on Granville Street over the weekend and then there was Justin Turner a week ago tonight celebrating a World Series win after being pulled out of the game because he tested positive for COVID-19 so you know so much of it is intertwined right now um, but we constantly hear, you know, hey, stick, you know, stick to sports, stop talking politics. But I, I want to share with you an email that I got um, from one of our loyal listeners here at Sportsnet 650. Uh, Nathan uh, had sent this to me, and you know, I want to share this with you and and tell me because I feel like, you know, he was pretty passionate about it. He was very thoughtful about it. Um, don't know if I agree with all of it, but I think it probably hits home for a lot of our listeners as well. So I'll share this with you this morning. He says, uh, and this is basically, at the root of this, this was him saying, look, you guys shouldn't be mixing politics and sports here, and here's why. My primary he texted us text yesterday and said as much, did he not? Yes. I mean, there were dozens and but dozens and dozens of people yeah. that were telling us the same thing. But here's, here's what Nathan had to say. He said, my primary disdain for hearing political talk on my sports shows is that sports are supposed to be a break from the real troubles of the world, and I see it as a betrayal to the audience, some of whom are... Are under a great deal of mental stress and use it as therapy. You completely disregard the percentage of your audience who face mental health challenges, but you are always first to pretend you're all about them whenever the next Bell Let's Talk Day comes around. The underlying issue I take with it is if you're going to open that door and want to talk about it, at least really talk about it. It's very clear that the station is left-leaning liberal-minded and inserts their own political agenda into the content. It's duplicitous and dishonest and as someone who's politically neutral. Being a Trump supporter does not, by definition, make one hateful and racist. I see people who are the most vile, hateful, violent, and intolerant right now being the left. I have video document references for everything I'm about to say. A liberal protester screaming at cops about defunding the police yelling, I hope all your children are raped and killed. How about black business owners besides themselves as BLM protesters destroyed and looted their businesses? The politicization of COVID that has allowed for police to come into people's houses, papers please style reminiscent of Nazi era as it happened to a Jewish family recently in New York. The estimated 10,000-plus children around the world, along with many more that are currently starving to death as a result in the break of the food supply chain due to lockdown. The lockdown causing a massive spike in suicides, domestic and child abuse, as well as sex trafficking to flourish. Telling black people you don't have to vote for Biden or if you're, you're not black is racist. You know, Assuming everyone who's white is racist because they don't share your political views is also racist. You don't kick, get to kick people in the head on the ground as you yell, Black Lives Matter, homophobic uh, expletive, and pretend that you're morally superior. The ultimate irony is the reason Trump won in the first place, and the reason it's probably going to be at least close this time is because of the intolerant liberal mindset, which says, if you don't agree with everything I say, you're the enemy. They're too blind to see it, pushes people to vote Republican. Violent, intolerant, Hostile, narrow-minded racists. That's how I see the left being more than the conservatives right now. I'm a Green Party guy, always have been, but you guys have completely lost yourselves. Star Wars should have been lesson learned when that's when you follow the path of hate. It's extremely easy to become what you hate. 
Almost every atrocity in human history was perpetrated by people who believed that they were doing what was right. It's different when I punch you in the face because I'm right and you're wrong. So if you're going to open that door and you want to talk about it, get real and talk. Intolerant and hostile, so goes the liberal mindset. To look down their noses at those who aren't intelligent or thoughtful enough to share their point of view while espousing every characteristic of what they profess to be fighting against. Every day I'm watching rioting, looting, fires, assaults, and it ain't by people wearing MAGA hats. And that's from Nathan this morning. I wouldn't have given him the time, but whatever. Good for you, Nathan. You live in Canada, so do I. That's fine. Listen, I all I know is is I'm not getting into the protests and all that. All I think I think what we're seeing there is not so much people who are in love with Joe Biden and what's going on. You see people that unfortunately have to line up for six hours to get their votes in today, and the vote is not necessarily we love the Democrats. It's they're voting. We don't want Donald Trump there anymore. Simple as that. And four years ago, they wanted change and they wanted Donald Trump to come in there. But I just, you know, we have not sat on this show and talked about a health care plan, have talked about foreign policy or anything. We've played clips today all about a president who took a shot at LeBron James, a president who at one point called NFL players SOBs, a president who on a bus made such vile derogatory terms toward females. Like if you want to support someone who's in that chair, that's fine. I think they're making a vote to get rid of Donald Trump. Donald Trump walked by me. I would look at him and just laugh at him because I think he I, I have no respect for the man. And I think that's the what's going on with the vote down south. Everyone can have their opinion. And you just you just let Nathan have his and that's fine. But I, I don't think, think we've sat on this show talking about we're talking about an election because there's a covid issue, because according to the stats, whether you want to believe it or not, the Americans lead the way for cases. Thus, our soccer team has been sitting in Portland because they can't cross the border. We have workers from our station who have to live in the states right now. They can't come. We're following it. We're making mistakes, but others are making it more so and changing the way it is. So no basketball, a Canadian division in hockey because of that. So it's all intertwined for him to say, speak nothing but sports. I understand your mental health. I didn't get into this business so I could talk about sport, talk about elections and policies and stuff, but they're all intertwined. It's the world we live in right now. We're not going to avoid what's happening around us. So unfortunately, sometimes it's going to be conversation that is not just about goals and assists. No, but I do think that Nathan makes a good point. Um, And I, and I will say that, I, I agree, and I'm guilty of it at times. Look, first things first, Trump to me represents divisiveness. And I think you look no further than a few years ago in Charleston, Virginia, uh, that he would not denounce the white supremacists. Like, there are some fine people on both sides. It's like, <laughs> But my point is, and, and I think where he's coming from is, you can't just shout people down and dismiss them as being a racist if you share a different opinion. You know, no. and we're starting to see that more now in this country that, you know, just because you're a conservative doesn't mean that you are a bigot, right? Uh, and and just and, and I think that at times, and I've been guilty of this, where to me I've always kind of felt myself being 
you know, socially left and fiscally right to a degree. And I think a lot of people kind of, you know, fall fall into that, which is why the majority of this country's history has fallen under liberal rule. But we have these conversations, Pear, and I think it's easy for us to kind of take shots and, hey, did it last week with Jack Nicholas, did it with Bobby Orr, and, you know, with their support of Donald Trump because it jives against, and it's, and it's low-hanging fruit. But oftentimes, like, you know, the left message is generally treat everybody equal, right? One love, inclusivity. But yet, I remember 10 years ago, you know, as divisive as Rob Ford was as the mayor in Toronto, like you talk about a polarizing figure in Canadian politics history, you know, Rob Ford was that guy. And yet, how many times did people, you know, from a left standpoint that would shame that guy because of his weight and the size of him? And it's like, well, you can't necessarily preach inclusivity and no bullying and then at the same time kind of take a shot at somebody's weight issues if you're trying to preach one thing, right? So kind of practice what you preach. I I do understand where Nathan's coming from in that one. Just because, you know, because somebody shares a political opinion. Like, look at Ryan Kessler. Like, Ryan Kessler. I'll bring this back, going back a couple months ago. He came out with just four more years, right? Like, that guy mm. disappeared. We haven't heard from have Ryan happened, Kessler James, since. If that had happened, uh, you know, eight years ago, we probably could have found an athlete who was a big Republican um, and would have said it. I, I think because of the environment that's been creative in the last four, four years, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if you come out, for, there's lots of Republicans. That That's fine. I I don't care what your, uh, you know, political view is, but I do think it's been so divided over the last four years. It wasn't like that during the Bush era. It, that, that wasn't the case. No. You're Republican, uh, you're Republican. But with the way Trump has divided everything, you know, George Bush loved baseball. He was part owner of a team, his dad. But he didn't talk sports when he was doing his job. He didn't call the people playing at SOBs. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just the tack that Trump took. And now he'll if he's successful... Well, we know Todd Bertuzzi's moving to Vancouver if he's not successful. Um, and there's others who, who have done it. So, hey, you, you, gave, you gave him his time. You read his email. But um, you know what? It's, you know, as, as someone's getting in here, Anthony says, it's not a political view. It's about human rights. Like, I mean, that's exactly it. I don't, I don't think we have not talked about policy. We haven't gone Republicans, Democrats, Republican Democrats. It's a guy who treats people poorly, and he's in the most powerful chair. And they put him there, and today they decide whether he wants to remain there. Uh, Par and New West on the uh, Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. I'll be completely honest. Trump, who cares? Biden, who cares? I don't even like politics. Let's talk about how we, as Canucks fan base, are going to seriously bring back the black skate jersey as our home kit. That's Par in New West. And that's something I think a lot of us could get down on right there. 845 Final thoughts before we turn things over to the Scott Ritual <laughs> Nathan's show. Nathan's getting hammered on Twitter. Nathan, that's how it works. You rip on us, and now people are ripping on you. Welcome to the talk show. Nathan, living under a rock. If you support Trump, you're racist, plain and simple. Welcome to the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. All right, nine minutes to uh, nine o'clock. You know, for, uh, for as divisive and as toxic social media, specifically Twitter, can be an awful lot of times, Pear. I get these moments every once in a while where I just feel, oh, you know what? 
society reminds me that there's still a lot of good on earth. And this is what happened yesterday where there was a story and kind of a disturbing story about a group of masked assailants who killed a Russian businessman dubbed the Sausage King with a crossbow at his country residence in Moscow. Um, mm-hmm. The victim who owns a large meat processing plant was in a sauna. He was with his wife when the attack happened. So it was kind of a heinous and disturbing wow. story. But what do I see trending on Twitter is Abe Froman. Abe Froman. Abe and for Froman. those yes. of you that are old enough to remember this pair, do you remember the movie? You bet. Everybody Hi. needs a day I'm off, Abe man. Abe Froman. Party of three for 12. Is there a problem? You're Abe Froman. That's right. I'm Abe Froman. The sausage king of Chicago. Yeah, that's me. (laughs) Just amazing how many people immediately thought of Abe Froman, the sausage king of Chicago, when they see this tragic story about a a Russian businessman known as the sausage king killed with a crossbow. Social media. Of uh, someone that just Matthew Broderick's coming out of a restaurant in obviously New York or someone, and and someone asks him to pose with his kid, and so he does. And you see, you see Broderick's friend in the background with the hat on, who's just waiting for Broderick to take the picture, and it's Jerry Seinfeld. And you're thinking, <laughs> really? You see a couple of celebrities, you recognize Matthew Broderick. Hey, hey, Matthew, can my kid take a picture with you? And as you're doing that, Jerry finds Seinfeld's four feet away going, I guess I'll wait. How right. often does that happen to Tom Brady with he, when he's with Giselle, right? Oh, I don't see. I I wouldn't recognize Giselle. And that's that's me, I, I guess. I don't know. With that. But there's way does more that people that would recognize Giselle than Tom Brady on this planet. Yeah, I'm guessing yes. I'm just saying I wouldn't. I You know, I, I wouldn't recognize her. I'm just so, telling I'm you sure that I think happened. there's a lot of people that would that would sooner recognize Giselle on this planet than than Tom Brady, which is kind of crazy, right? Like it's just it's those Who moments. Who makes more? I think is she working much anymore? Tell you what, Tom Brady. Tom Brady's going to end this conversation. We're what halfway through the season. We wondered, oh, let's see who it was. Was it Brady? Was it Belichick? Belichick doesn't have a lot of parts anymore. But if Tom Brady continues to play like he is, if the Bucks get to a Super Bowl. I don't know if there's a conversation about the GOAT, but he's bringing that one to an end. We got to get out of here. Uh, good luck tonight, America. Don't screw this up. We'll talk about it, I'm sure, tomorrow. The Scott Rental Show is next right here on your home of Vancouver Hockey, Sportsnet 650.